0: This is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install.
1: For tires, it's Dobbs.
2: For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's Bluenile.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Little tapper, race to the plate, and a tag in time, what a play by Kisner. Unbelievable effort from Andrew Kisner. Swing, drive, hit high in the air toward right, that ball is going, going, gone, it's 1-0. Runner goes, pitch is grounded, fair, that might have clipped the bag. Arenado around third, they're going to wave him, here he comes, here comes the throw, it's a looper, and it's not in time. Swing and a high towering fly ball to left. At the track, at the wall, it is gone! Paul DeYoung with a mammoth to run homer. That'll do it. A much needed win, they are not swept in San Fran and the way they played hopefully will jumpstart them the rest of the way on the road trip.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario, I am Brandon. Kylie Tanner Hendrickson along for the ride as well. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We should have known. All you needed to do was send me away, and suddenly the Cardinals are back in the winning side of the ledger. A 6-0 win yesterday to finish out the series in San Francisco. Alex, one of the key players, because of course, in them getting back to winning... Is Paul De Young? Welcome back to the lineup, Paul De Young. Two for four yesterday. He has been one of their best players since his return. He is eight for 17. That's good for a 1400 OPS. Two doubles, two home runs. Only struck out once so far. Alex, I'm gonna ask you the question that I'm sure all of St. Louis is asking right now. Is Paul De Young your starting shortstop again?
3: <laughs> I really can't believe we've gotten to this point. Um, <laughs> and honestly. It's really on Paul DeYoung of why I feel this way, because every time we've gotten to the point where we say, is Paul DeYoung back? Then Paul DeYoung disappears, and we're like, what the heck just happened? It's like that that uh, Harry Houdini puff of smoke. He just disappears into it. But yeah, to answer your question, he's your starting shortstop right now. Until his offense disappears, he's your starting shortstop. Why? Because this team apparently can't hit the ball unless your name is Paul DeYoung or Paul Goldschmidt. Maybe it's a Paul thing, but yeah, I mean, It's not so much that he's back as it is. He just looks different. He struck out once since he's returned. And that's a different Paul DeYoung because almost every time you could guarantee he's going to at least strike out twice in his at-bats. But the significance of him being in the lineup, you get the home run yesterday. You have back-to-back games where he goes two for four. He's showcasing the power. Yeah, until his offense disappears, he's your shortstop. And then Tommy Edmond, second base or on the bench.
4: Yeah, I I think I agree. I I think right now you have to start Paul DeYoung and give him at least a little bit of a run here because he is one of the only bats that's been hitting. And I know a lot of people say, well, what about Brendan Donovan? Brendan Donovan's not been really hitting. He's not getting on base at a decent clip, and that power has disappeared that we saw from early on in the year, and he's only hitting .253. So all the things that go well for Brendan Donovan aren't showcasing themselves at the plate. So the way DeYoung's playing, he looks He looks like more of himself. He doesn't have all the late kick. He's kind of quiet at the plate now. He's not chasing a lot, as you mentioned, with the one strikeouts. So I think, yes, I think you have to give him a run. What I'll be curious to see with Paul DeYoung is what happens when he goes through those first struggles because that's when it really went wrong for him last year. Remember, he got called up from AAA, had a hot start, and was like, hey, maybe he figured something out. And then he went cold, and he just went really cold after that and never refound himself. But I think right now you have to put him in the lineup and pencil him in as at least the starting shortstop for next week, week and a half, I'd say.
0: Yeah, that's what I wanted to bring up because we've seen this before. Paul DeYoung last year came back up to the big leagues, had five doubles, four home runs over his first 10 games. He was hitting the crap out of the baseball. And then what happened, BK? It wasn't good. (laughs) It was really bad. I'm not falling for this. Should they keep throwing him out there while he's hot? Absolutely. And at the first sign of things going awry, they should get him right back to the bench where he should be over the long haul. If you are more confident in Paul DeYoung long long term than Brendan Donovan, more power to you, man. I am not joining you on that hype train. I'm not willing to do it. So is he your starting shortstop right now? Like going into this weekend, would I start him tonight against the Dodgers? Sure. That's fine. I got no problems with it. Would I start him tomorrow if he plays well tonight? Yeah, again, no problem. Would I continue to start him even as he goes through struggles, which are going to be inevitable? No, no, I absolutely would not. So ride the hot hand just as you would if a rookie came up and you're like, okay, we're getting some real contributions here. But once you start uh, seeing things go south, and they will... That is when you have to be ready to pull him from the lineup. Do not stick with this too long. Do not be willing to go that route. It's like
3: stand up at the Apollo. As soon as you start to hear those boos, you get the hook and you pull him off stage because it's going to get violent. Paul DeYoung, as soon as that first bad game happens, somebody give Ollie the hook so they can get him off the plate because it's yeah. going to get ugly real quick. But here's the thing. Brendan Donovan has stopped being that impact bat for you right now. Tommy Edmund has been inconsistent for you and I'm not playing Taylor Motter. So right now my options are Paul DeYoung at short, whomever I want to feel like can be hot right now at second base. And then Nolan Gorman is your DH. And if you want to give Nolan Gorman a couple of reps at second base, go for it. But I no longer am looking at this lineup and saying, well, he deserves to play because he was our guy at the beginning of the season. No, guess what? You deserve to play when you have two doubles or a home run in the game, because nobody else seems to be doing that on this roster.
4: Yeah. They, what'll be interesting now is if guys start hitting is they've created a log jam in the infield, because you mentioned it with, Brennan Donovan not hitting. Tommy Edmund's been okay. I think he's been better more recently. And then you've got Nolan Gorman, and they're still trying to balance getting at-bats for four outfielders to where if DeYoung plays well, say Donovan starts hitting the ball, or um, and Tommy Edmund does as well, and Nolan Gorman. I mean, you could arguably put Gorman at second base too if you wanted to. So, you're starting to see a log jam potentially merging into the middle infield. We'll oh, good. See. We figured
3: that out with the outfield.
4: Yeah, we'll see how they end up deciding to play that out. But I could see where this becomes an issue of, okay, if you want to call it. You, we've got too many guys hitting. How are we going to get them playing time? And then you go through the same carousel that you just well, went through with the outfield. Deal,
0: deal. If, if that ends up being a problem, what they probably do is put Brendan Donovan in the outfield, right? Like if you've got too many in who you take it out, out of the outfield. outfield, I don't,
4: I don't think they're going to put the, I don't think they're going to put them in the outfield. Cause I think they want to know what these outfielders are in the next right. month. I think that's I, why we, you said Jordan Walker down. We talked about this yesterday on the show. I, I think the next month is the most critical time for the four outfielders. They got right now. Three I, I'll go Burleson O'Neill and Carlson. I think it's the biggest in month. And those three guys career right now.
0: Sure. But if you end up in a scenario where like, let's say Alec Burleson, he, he was great yesterday. We'll talk about him here in a minute, but Let's say he stops hitting, and it ends up being a scenario where he's batting like 200 for the next two weeks. Paul DeYoung continues hitting. Um, You get Brendan Donovan some opportunities. He looks good. He looks more like himself. And Nolan Gorman continues to hit. Tommy Edmonds starts hitting better as well. Well, then, yeah, sure. Go ahead and put Brendan Donovan in the outfield. If that's what it ends up taking, especially against right-handed pitching, Dylan Carlson isn't getting opportunities against that side right now. So really, you're starting him either over Alec Burleson or over Tyler O'Neal. And if one of those guys slumps, that's the way that you make this thing work. If they have too many guys on the infield that are hitting, that's one of them good problems. Their problem is they've had too many guys that aren't hitting. And when you run into that issue, it is the whack-a-mole scenario that we've been talking about all year where you're looking for production, you're seeking it, and so then you just try to ride with the guy that had the good day the day before, or if a guy has a bad day, then he's getting replaced in the lineup the next day. And that gets into the Steven Biscotti, Randall Gritchick, uh Colton Wong scenario that we saw with Mike Matheny a number of years ago. That's where they were heading. If you have too many infielders that are hitting, that that is a problem that you can solve a lot easier than the issue that they've been trying to solve previously. Now, the positive, Alex, about this I don't want to make too much of it because, again, I'm not buying into what we're seeing from Paul DeYoung. I'm not willing to do it yet. I need like a three or four week stretch of sustained success before I'm really willing to buy in on him. What it does is that it it fixes your defense. It settles things down, especially on the infield where they have had some issues at times this year. Here's Ollie Marmal after the game yesterday talking about what that performance represented for the Cardinals.
1: Yeah, that's what Cardinal baseball is supposed to look like there. Um you, you think of some of the small details, nuances of the game. You got it didn't work out, but you had that ground ball by Burlson. Where Nolan, that's a smart play to dive underneath the first baseman back. You're going to be out of second anyway. So thinking about that ahead of time, that's a that's a good one. Eddie hitting the front part of the bag, beating that challenge. That's a big part of that, that game there. So we're doing some little things. You got Nolan um, cheating that guy on the steal, being able to score. So there's a lot of positive things that came out of today. But that's the style of baseball we need to play.
0: The thing that I liked about what we saw yesterday, Alex, they just played a clean baseball game. Like the, the defensive play by Andrew Kisner. My God, man, let's give it up for Kis. That was one hell of a play at the plate. Lunging Tyler for his o- life. Tyler O'Neill going into the wall or close to it, sliding down the, um, the baseline there for the foul ball. That was a tremendous play and left by him. You, you look at what we're seeing right now. When the Cardinals are going wrong, when things go south for them, Too often it's been that defensive play that doesn't get made. It feels like they're, like, hesitant. Like the Lars Nupar play in center the other night, where it drops in front of both him and Alec Burleson. If you are... If you're making those plays, you don't give away free outs, everything starts to get a little easier for this team. So... For the Cardinals yesterday, what it represented for me and what it has represented since Paul DeYoung has kind of settled things down defensively, I'll give him credit there. That's what they need to do. They they need to be much better defensively. And at least yesterday for one day, we finally were able to see it. Yeah, I would say it's
3: the first time this season that all areas of your game, other than I guess that Milwaukee Brewers 6-0 victory you had earlier in the season, it's the first time that all areas have clicked for you. Uh, to where your offense looked like it was at least consistent with 12 hits and you score six runs. Your pitching was outstanding with Miles Michaelis and then the bullpen coming in relief. And then, of course, you also had the defense like you're talking about, BK. And to to halt the snowball that has taken place this season where when one thing happens, it's whack-a-mole like we've talked about, you got to start picking away at one area. You tighten up one spot, everything else starts to get a little bit tighter for you. And it did feel like defense was going to be the first thing because even if your offense isn't showing up or if you're pitching struggling, as soon as that error popped up, your team was like, oh, bleep, here we go. That was the moment yesterday where it's like, all right, you get that play by Kisner. Everything else starts falling into place. Miles Michaelis was pitching well, but I think we all can agree. Up until the point that the offense hit, we all looked at it as, well, Miles Michaelis is pitching well, but they're going to find a way to lose this game for him. Mm-hmm. You get the Kisner play, and then the offense comes in, and then you're thinking, okay, they finally found it out. You nitpick in one area and you stop the snowball.
4: Yeah. 3-1. i would say all, real quick, I, I thought for sure that Kisner move, that was the one that was going to be the de- deciding factor. you give up that run. I think you see the snowball effect. I, I think defensively, this team's too good defensively to be making those little mistakes. So having someone come in like Paul DeYoung, surefire at shortstop, not saying they were bad in the infield, but it sure helps things out across the board.
0: is the Air Comfort Service text line Uh, from the 636. BK's in a tin can. From the 618 is BK broadcasting from inside of a dumpster. From the 573, BK, I don't know what's going on right now, but you sound like you're at the bottom of the ocean. I will try to fix that. I'll go to a different room. I am broadcasting from Kansas City where I was at the NFL draft last night. We will get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next... At some point, we just talked a lot about the infield. This outfield has got to start hitting for more power. John Mosaylock talked about that yesterday. We'll tell you what he had to say about it, and we'll give you our perspective
2: on it coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. two with one out swing drive hit high in the air toward right that ball is going going gone it's one nothing the cardinals needed that one big alec burleson's third homer of the year in what has been a pitcher's duel waiting for a mistake to happen this one is letter high gets on top of it and takes it for a
0: ride Chip called it. That's what it sounded like on Valley Sports Midwest. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK, and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Alec Burleson providing the power that the Cardinals have been seeking. John Mozalock told reporters yesterday in San Francisco, quote, what we want to see from someone in our outfield is some power. Slugging matters. Now, Alex, early in the season, Alec Burleson was providing that power for the Cardinals. He had six extra base hits in his first 11 games. At that point, he was slugging 515, which is exactly what you want out of a corner outfielder. But in his last 10 games, he has two extra base hits. He's slugging 355 since April 16th. You look over that same stretch. Tyler O'Neill slugging 315. Dylan Carlson slugging 295 against right-handed pitchers all season long. Lars or is slugging 350 in his last nine games. The Cardinals outfield as a whole – is slugging 331 since the start of that Pirates series. They have a 640 OPS in this stretch. That is good for 20th among outfields in Major League Baseball. This outfield is not giving the Cardinals the production that they needed. We always knew that the Cardinals' offense, the, the depth of it at least, was going to be determined by whether or not they ended up betting right on this outfield. So far this year, the answers have not been trending in a positive direction, but whether it's Alec Burleson, Lars Newbar, Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, even if Brendan Donovan ends up getting out there, whoever it is, this Cardinals offense has to get going in the way that it has to get going is by slugging from the outfield.
3: Yeah, it, it does. And I mean you look at your roster where the slugging's coming from right now, you're getting it from or you're hoping to get it from continuously. Arenado, you've got it from Goldschmidt, Nolan Gorman has been providing it. Wilson Contreras will provide it, and then you're right. I, I mean, I I mean, for me, realistically, I'm looking at two of the guys in the outfield to provide some pop and some slug for you. And again, to play the realistic card here, I I don't believe it's going to be Lars Nupar. Lars Nupar might be more of the on-base guy and just the hard contact guy. I don't know if we're going to see the slug really go through the roof. And frankly, I think Dylan Carlson is what Dylan Carlson has always been. I don't know if the slug is really going to be there. So I turn to two individuals, Tyler O'Neal and Alec Burleson. And Tyler O'Neal should be the home run guy for you. Tyler O'Neal should be the guy that you're putting at five or six in your lineup so that he can be that power swinger. Right now, he hasn't been. Tyler O'Neill is going to be prime suspect number one for me to start showcasing the slug, which is personally why Timon and I talked about it yesterday. I believe Jordan Walker was sent down. I think this more has to do with are we going to figure out what you are, Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson, because we kind of need to. And then you get to Alec Burleson, and Alec Burleson, frankly, has just been the Cardinals' devil magic surprise this season for what he's provided.
4: Yeah, I I think O'Neill is the guy that you have to circle most when you're looking at power in the outfield. He's got to be hitting better in terms of slugging. He he. He is a guy that should be reverting back closer to 2021 form. I'm not saying a top three MVP guy, but he's got to start hitting 30 to 40, He's got to show 30 to 40 home run power because if not, and we've also talked about it, his sprint speed is down. I mean, he's basically lost two of the five tools that make him a five tool player. So <laughs> I to me, it's Tyler O'Neill. He's the guy that they're. I think they're kind of pointing to and saying, hey, we need to see a little bit more slug from him. I think you're going to see a decent amount of pop from Newt Barr. Carlson, I kind of agree. I, I don't know if you're going to see the power coming against right-handed pitching. Lefties, I think you'll see it a good amount. But Burleson's the guy that I, I just don't know what he is. Will he hit for a ton of slug? Maybe. We'll find out. But to me, it is it is all solely on Tyler O'Neill. He's got to hit for more power because, I mean, one, just look at him. He should be hitting for more power. Uh, he's the guy that's the driving force for me when you're looking at this outfield. And I think slug baby slug, he's the guy that I think of with the Cardinals outfield.
0: How would you feel if Tyler O'Neill was batting 277 with a slugging percentage of 497? Would that make you guys feel good about where he's at offensively? I would. I would probably take that. Yeah, I would take that. I mean, if you're pushing 500 on the slug, I would take that. Reason I bring that up is because those are his expected numbers, and listen, we can overdo it sometimes with the expected numbers. I understand that, even as a nerd myself, I get it. Like I understand that you would rather look at the everybody would rather look at what they've actually done than what the expected numbers are. But the reason I bring it up is because when you go to Tyler O'Neill's baseball savant page and you're just looking at, you want a lot of red, right? That's that means you're doing well in certain areas. He's got a lot of red on his page the way that he did in 2021 when he was one of the top players in the National League. Now, not to the same degree. That year he was literally one of the five to ten best hitters in terms of exit velocity, all that stuff. This year he's just he's been pretty good with most of that th- th- those things. I, I would expect him to get better. So far, I know nobody wants to hear it. Tyler O'Neill has been a decent amount unlucky. This season, when it comes to the results that he's put up, his expected numbers are like a 290 or 280 batting average. He's at 255. His expected numbers are almost a 500 slugging percentage. He's at a 385 slugging percentage so far this year. I have not looked. I would bet that expected slug minus his actual slug is among the top differences in all of Major League Baseball. So you expect some correction there, and if that ends up happening, to your point, Alex, on him being the one that has to come through in that way, it really does change the complexion of your lineup because Lars Newbar, for all of his struggles with the slugging percentage, is still getting on base at an re- uh, exceptionally high rate. Paul Goldschmidt looks like he's starting to get back on track. His OPS is back above 900 after the last few days. Nolan Gorman, exactly what you were hoping that he would be this year. Now you add in Wilson Contreras and Tyler O'Neill. Now you got a one through six that you were waiting for. It really does come down to do those numbers normalize for Tyler O'Neill or. Was that the outlier? He ended up having some bad luck, and now you go through a little bit of a uh, dry spell for him. It, it, it's impossible to know for sure, but that's what the Cardinals need.
3: Yeah, uh, and that's, uh, that's why I look at this and say, like, you know, Alec Burleson is providing this right now. Maybe he does become an everyday outfielder. I think it's more likely that you're getting the DH slash the bench bat when all things work in their favor of outfielders performing. Um, it, it really, and when Jordan Walker gets this figured out, whatever they're hoping he can work on, he's going to be out there. It's really going to come down to can Tyler O'Neill be that slugging guy for us? Because if that's the case, I think Tyler O'Neill wins that job over Dylan Carlson and Dylan Carlson might be the odd one out when they make this decision. But if Tyler O'Neill can't provide that slug, they're going to have to go elsewhere to find it. And I don't know where they're going to go with that. And in terms of Lars nupar I'm looking at large new this season, Differently than what I thought I was going to because I was all aboard the hype train with BK of Lars Nupar being peak Lars. But I'm kind of viewing Lars as what Brennan Donovan was last year for them. Of just a dude who probably should be at the top of your batting order and just getting on base. Whether it's walks or just hard hit balls that are dropping in the right spot. I'm not looking at him as a doubles guy or a home run guy. I'm just looking
0: him as the on base guy. Uh, You brought up Dylan Carlson. Guys, I don't know what to do. Actually, you know what? This is the problem. I do know what to do with him. Dylan Carlson can't hit against right-handed pitchers anymore. He just can't do it. It has not worked so far this year, and it has not worked now for two years. Since the start of last season, looked this up earlier today, there are 52 major league outfielders that have taken at least 300 plate appearances against right-handed pitching. That is a representative sample size now. That is basically a full season of plate appearances against right-handed pitchers. Dylan Carlson ranks 46th out of those 52 outfielders in batting average against right-handed pitching at 214. He ranks 43rd against right-handed pitchers in slugging percentage at 347. Guys, Dylan Carlson's a platoon player. He can only play against left-handed pitching. Yesterday, he got a little lucky. He got a hit against John Brevy after coming in as a defensive replacement. you love to see it. Maybe that happens from time to time. I hate giving up on a player this early in his career, but it's hard to make any case whatsoever at this point that Dylan Carlson is going to get this thing figured out and that eventually he's going to be able to hit right-handed pitching. Given what they have available to them right now, against right-handed pitching, I think your mix in the outfield does not include Dylan Carlson. It can include, at times, in my opinion at least, Brendan Donovan, but the three guys that you should be throwing out there tonight and Sunday specifically in the series against the Dodgers where you're seeing right-handed pitching, she's see Tyler O'Neal, Lars Newpar, and Alec Burleson. That's got to be your starting outfield right now.
3: And Tanner, you said this yesterday. Send the bleeping guy down to the minors. Give him an opportunity to work on this. Stop with this, like, let's keep him on the bench, and he's only going to get the opportunities against this side. I understand that that's what he's proven over his career, then figure it out. You're 24 years old. I need you to be a core piece of this team. Send him to the minors and get him some extra work rather than this log jam of dudes that are in the outfield and you're not sure how it works. Bring up Wanya Pez. Make Wanya Pez a bench bat for you, a righty who gives you some pop, and put Dylan Carlson in
4: the minors. I, that's where I was going to go with this is if you're willing to kind of, and, and I don't think it is uh, – give up on the player. But if you're willing to just say, you know what, the best thing he's ever going to do, I guess it does sound like giving up, but the best thing for Dylan Carlson is he's a platoon bat. He's just going to get hit against left-handed pitching. Then okay, then I understand keeping him up here and serving in that role and kind of being the fourth outfielder against righties. But if you truly think that there's still more for Dylan Carlson and there's more for him against right-handed pitching, that's when I would have sent down him instead of Jordan Walker. And and I said that yesterday, and I I still stand by that. I would have had Walker work out his issues here in the major leagues and had Carlson go down I truly believe he's a everyday guy like they seem to think that he is and had him work against right-handed pitching down in the minor leagues and it's not like it's just two seasons either I mean he hasn't hit right-handed pitching in his entire career he's only got a 681 OPS yeah, in his but career but the against year righties. that he
3: was in the rookie of the year conversation he wasn't great I mean it's obvious he was better against lefties but he did hit 13 home runs against righties so he's got the opportunity to do it just you can't do it when you're saying, well, all you're going to be is against lefties. Well, I got to get some opportunity to get some reps. And if you have the option to send them down, then send
0: them down. I mean, to be fair, even in that good season against right handed pitching, what he did was a 240 batting average and a 740 OPS. That OK, but that's I take OK. It. I'll take sure it. you take it, but it's worse than what you're expecting to get out of um either any of the current outfielders like that's worse than what you're hoping to get out of tyler o'neill it's worse than what you're expecting to get out of lars new part yeah, it's but that worse than his, what you're getting that, out of alec burles
3: but that was his first full season as a major league. yeah it, so and imagine that was the more best. reps.
0: No, sure was, imagine it. more reps he's been worse they found a hole in his swing and he's been worse no he's gotten right to the point center. where yeah
3: when he struggled and then they just put him into the spot where you're pitching towing or pitching holding him and you're saying
0: you're you're against lefties he that's not the case though he had 350 plate appearances against right-handed pitching last year he's at 40 against them this year that's almost 400 plate appearances man it's a full season's worth of plate appearances against right-handed pitching and in that stretch he's at an OPS of 600 he's at an on-base percentage below 300 he's hit for exactly eight extra base hits like he's not or he, or excuse me tw- 20 extra base hits he He's not a guy that has done any damage against right-handed pitching over the last two seasons. Again, I'm not saying you give up on Dylan Carlson. I am saying, though, that you can't play him right now against right-handed pitching, and if you want him to get better, I agree with T-Bone. I agree with you, Alex. You should send him down because he's not going to get those opportunities right now because, the, because of the same reason why some of these other guys aren't getting opportunities, because this isn't about development at the big league level for this Cardinals team. The Cardinals are in the business of winning and throwing Dylan Carlson out there against right-handed pitching helps them lose. I'm sorry, but it's the truth. Dylan Carlson is not a good enough hitter against right-handed pitching right now to allow him to get into your lineup unless it's because you need other guys to get a day off.
4: And and I understood the kind of coming into the season this year and saying, Hey, he had the wrist injury. Okay. Maybe that was the factor. Maybe that's why he didn't hit right-handed pitching well last year, but is he hurt this year? Is that why he's not hitting right-handed pitching? Because you can use the excuse once. It feels a lot like, and I mentioned this yesterday, what they did with Paul DeYoung for two years in a row. Well, he had the rib issue, and then he had the COVID short year, and he had COVID. But then it's like, okay, at some point you got to quit making excuses for why he's not performing at the plate. Just the fact that Major League Baseball adjusted to him. I think the same conversation needs to be had with Dylan Carlson against right-handed pitching right now. I could buy, you know, he had a wrist injury last year, and that's why his numbers went down from his rookie year. But then what's the excuse this year? This year, he's not hitting right-handed pitching. He's been awful again. So I don't think the wrist is an issue now. I think the wrist was kind of the, Hey, look over here. That's why he wasn't hitting right-handed pitching. When in fact, it's just been hey, they they've made an adjustment still Carlson can't hit against righties anymore.
0: And, and this is the thing that's really frustrating. Alex is if you're a left-handed hitter that can hit really well against righties, but you struggle against lefties, that can be a really valuable piece. Like, even though we're frustrated by the fact that they won't play Nolan Gorman against uh, lefties, he's still getting like 80% of the opportunities for the Cardinals. He's playing nearly every day, and he's e- even in an individual game, he's getting 70% of the plate appearances within that game. The problem is if you're exclusively hitting against lefties, and you're playing like uh, – especially for the Cardinals because they're so good against left-handed pitching that teams just don't bring those guys in – you're playing like 20 to 30% of the time at best. That is not a useful piece for what the Cardinals need. It's not enough to make, to justify keeping him on the major league roster right now, or in, unless you're okay with it. If you're okay with him being what he was yesterday, where he's a defensive replacement late in a game where you need to make sure that you're, you're solid in the outfield defensively because you're leading by a, a small amount of runs or If you're good with him just playing 20% of the time, all right, cool. I think that's a misuse of the asset. I think Dylan Carlson is too talented to be placed into a role like that. And I do agree with you guys. Like, Just run with this three-man outfield that you've got right now. Let Carlson get himself right or at least try to against right-handed pitching down in the minors and bring up Juan Yepes, who is not a good outfielder. I understand that. He is not a good outfielder. But he's a solid right-handed bat that can at least make some po- – bring some pop to your lineup, and you don't feel like it's necessary to get him everyday opportunities. I, that, that's what I would do. I, I would go that route, especially when they get back from this road trip. But I, I think they're going to continue trying to make this thing happen, and it's it's like putting a, round, or a square peg into a round hole and just trying to bash it in repeatedly – Man, it ain't working. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to ask us anything coming up here in just about 10 minutes or so, but coming up next. So what happened to the whole Will Levis is going number two overall thing? Because Will Levis might not even go number 32 overall. We'll talk about the quarterback situation from yesterday next year on 101 ESPN.
4: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would
1: you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates
4: may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. First pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Carolina Panthers select Bryce Young, quarterback, Alabama. With the second pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Houston Texans select C.J. Stroud, quarterback, Ohio State. With the fourth pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Indianapolis Colts select Anthony Richardson, quarterback, Florida.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That is what it sounded like last night during the NFL draft. As quarterbacks, Alex, go one, two, and four, then no more went in the first round. It is the first time in 50 years that there were at least three quarterbacks in the top 10, and then no other quarterbacks were selected in round number one. Everybody, and I mean everybody, anticipated that we would see at least four selected. Then Will Levis was not selected in the NFL draft. Some thought that we would see five with potentially Hendon Hooker going in the first round. He obviously was not selected either. Alex, I want to start with this. What the heck happened? How did Will Levis end up dropping not just into the 20s or something? That would have been surprising, but you can at least see how that would happen maybe. How did he fall completely out of the first round? That that to me was shocking. Turf toe,
3: man. We all know turf toe can be a B. And that's what Will Levis is suffering from right now. I mean, I, I frankly was. Do very, we believe
0: that? Do you no. honestly believe that?
3: Hell yeah, turf toe. It can ruin no, you.
4: I cannot buy. What was turf it? toe was what the reason was, they did not draft? What
3: him. were the reports? They're like, oh well, a lot of people felt like that was going to have to have surgery in the off. It is
0: the freaking off season. Have the Patrick surgery. Patrick Mahomes had that last off season. the exact same injury in the exact same surgery. There were zero side effects of it this year. There was no way that you could have known. I just, I, I. I personally believe it's
3: what I believed at the beginning. Like I didn't know if will Levis was supposed to be this highly touted of a prospect. And the fact that he dropped out of the first round has nothing to do with turf toe. And in my opinion, everything to do with people not believing he was a first round quality quarterback. Um, I was a little surprised though. Towards the end of it, like Tampa Bay, I assumed was going to take Will Levis. Part of me wondered if Detroit would take him at 18 just because then you get the guy to back up Jared Goff and maybe he takes over next year. But I mean, then you go through the list like Minnesota decided not to go with that. Seattle decided not to go with it. Uh, I was very taken aback by the fact that all of those teams late in the first round said, "Nope, we'll wait and see if we can get them later. So I'll be intrigued to see who decides to pounce on this.
4: Yeah, I, I was stunned that he didn't end up going. I, I did think, though, going into the draft, his best spot was probably going to be Indianapolis. I, I thought mm-hmm. Indy was going to be where he would fall at four but I, and I was stunned when they ended up going with Richardson. But one, I think once you saw that, I think it was kind of where you could kind of see the snowball effect starting to occur of, okay, now who really is going to draft him? Because there hadn't been a ton of buzz of, like, Las Vegas taking him. There hadn't been a ton of buzz of Detroit getting him. It had been more speculation. It hadn't been buzz like, hey, they're going to go after Will Levis if he ends up dropping down the the board. So I, I was a little bit surprised that he didn't go to Indy. But once that happened, I kind of thought he's probably going to fall into the second round. But I, I'm kind of with Alex. I, I can't believe a team like Tampa didn't want to take a flyer on him. I'm surprised a team like Minnesota didn't want to take a flyer on him. Honestly, Tennessee, even though they weren't really connected to him, I'm surprised they didn't want to take a flyer on him since they're actively shopping Ryan Tannehill. I, I am going to be fascinated to know where he goes here in the second round. And I wonder if he ends up falling I don't think he's going to fall too far. I think he's going to be probably one of the 10 first picks in the second round if I had to guess tonight.
0: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service X line. This comes from the 314. Guys, Will Levis was just never a first-round player. He didn't have the talent for it. That's why he didn't get selected there. I, I think that may be true. Like I don't know how you guys felt, Alex and t Bon. I think I know how, where you were at on this, Alex, but... I was never super impressed with Will Levis. When I watched him in college, I wasn't like, oh, this is an overwhelming talent that needs to be selected in the first round. What I do find really frustrating, though, is all of the talk leading into the NFL draft was, hey, C.J. Stroud, not a lot of people love him. Bombed some of his interviews. Didn't do well on the S2 test. People, eh. They're a little skeptical on whether or not he's going to be able to move around well enough in the NFL. There was all of this buzz in a negative way surrounding C.J. Stroud leading into the draft for like the month going into the draft. Meanwhile, on the other hand, with Will Levis, it was, man, people just love him. People want to be around him. He's got this Pied Piper thing about him, and he might end up going number two overall. Like, this guy's going to go higher than everybody thinks I hate that this is the way that we operate going into the NFL draft. Like, I don't know who it benefited to do that leading into the draft. I don't think it benefited the Texans. I don't think it benefited anybody like the Colts, the Seahawks, that people thought that Will Levis was going to go higher and that he was going to be a first-round pick. I, I don't understand how these kinds of leaks come out without more scrutiny when it feels like this is happening more and more regularly now. Like, you guys remember last year, all of us were like, eh, Malik Willis. I mean, he's fun, but are are we sure? First round pick? That seems a little high for a guy that didn't even play in, like, an offense that resembles an NFL offense in college and a guy that has real accuracy questions. And then we get to the draft because everybody was like, oh, no, he's going first round. It's going to happen. And then you get there and he didn't get selected until the third round. And then his team basically gave up on him by week 14 of the NFL season my lesson that i've learned from this year let's trust our own eyes let's trust our own evaluations let's stop talking about the some of the speculation when it comes to quarterback specifically because cj stroud went exactly where we thought he was gonna go bryce young went exactly as high as we thought he was gonna go we all thought anthony richardson would go really high guess what he did we were right the NFL speculation was completely wrong on everything that happened with quarterbacks other than what took place at number one last
3: night. It was like Shane Wright last year in the draft for the NHL. Yeah. Like they told him he was going to be the first overall pick. He was the consensus first overall pick. Montreal doesn't take him. New Jersey doesn't take him. And and then you get to see our who is there was another team that decided not to take him. And then Seattle shows up and is like, am I going to get picked here? I'm with you there. I just and I understand it's for us and it's for fans to sit there and speculate and have fun. And then you get the betting side of it. I mean, I did feel, people call me heartless, I did feel bad every camera view of Will Levis sitting in the waiting room, like his parents sitting there next to him, and you know cameras are on you, so you're trying not to cry because it's going to be awful to sit there all night and wonder if you're going to get selected, so I'm with you there.
4: I I think the tough part about it is... With quarterbacks, the big benefit of taking them in the first round is that fifth-year option. gives you more time and allows those guys to develop. That's why, though, yes, I could look at him in college and I could say, you know, I, I don't know, I don't really see it. You saw signs of it two years ago. Last year was rough. Was that just the offensive line? What was it? But I, I think what it is is it's that fifth-year option. Give you more time because he does have an NFL arm. Now, he doesn't have the accuracy with that arm, but he's got a cannon of an arm. And, and I, I think what happened was it was a lot of – okay, I think somebody's going to just take that kind of that flyer on him because, in theory, five years you could develop that quarterback if he ends up being the guy. So I I think that's how you get all that speculation on these quarterbacks because that's the only position it really happens on. Every now and then you get one with like a wide receiver or a defensive end or a tight end, but quarterbacks are mostly the guys that you hear all this speculation about, and I think it's just mostly because, one, it's the the most important position in any professional sport, and two, it's because you get that fifth-year option on them.
0: I'm going to leave this question open-ended for you guys. Who's the quarterback that's the happiest after last night? Like, the quarterback that's clearly the most frustrated has to be Will Levis, that he wasn't selected. But whether it was somebody that was drafted last night or a current quarterback in the NFL, that after their team left the first round, they were like, oh, all right, all right, all right, all right. Who's the quarterback that is feeling the best today? Uh,
3: I got two. Uh, Malik Willis from Tennessee and... Baker Mayfield. Because both have to be sitting there going, all right, one more year. I got <laughs> – like, Baker Mayfield, T-Bone and I joked about it in the office. Baker Mayfield was probably like, oh, oh, they really believe in me being their number one guy. Time to start my offseason probably, workout. Probably should. Honey, go get the treadmill out of the garage. I probably need to start exercising.
4: I, uh, I think the number one guy for me was Geno Smith. Now, this could change because, again – seattle's got one of the uh higher picks in the second round so there's a chance we see will levis go to seattle at a uh, 37th overall the sixth pick in the second round today but i think after last night geno smith i mean they even said on espn like pete carroll told him hey we might go quarterback in the draft and then you come away and you end up with uh one i think just one of the top corners in the draft in, in my boy uh witherspoon yeah, which that was i love an incredible
0: draft but uh, that so good
4: also you get jackson smith and jimma from ohio state like yes sign me up if I'm Geno Smith I mean you look at his wide receiver room you got Lockett you got the kid he just drafted oh and you also got DK Metcalf still Geno Smith's job just got a lot easier
3: we could probably get into this later it's embarrassing that he dropped to number 20 to Seattle it's embarrassing that Green Bay went defense again and you also had Washington and then New England and then Detroit like what the hell
0: I, I was shocked he fell that far. I I thought for sure Kansas City was going to be trading up <laughs> yeah. for one of those wide receivers. Um, and then they all went back to back to back to back. And one of those wide receivers is the guy that I want to mention as uh, why this quarterback is so happy. Man, Lamar has to be thrilled today. Oh, yeah. First of all, he got all of his money. No, it's not fully guaranteed, but it's like $185 million guaranteed. He's doing pretty well for himself. And then after that, you now have Zay Flowers, you've got Rashad Bateman, who's a really solid number two wide receiver, and you got Odell Beckham. He'll be great for this three is games. This <laughs> by far the most talented group of wide receivers that the Ravens have had in like a decade. I mean, we're talking like since the Amquan Bolden days Yikes. with him being in Baltimore. It's been a while since we've seen them have these kinds of pass catchers. So to me, Lamar Jackson has to be the happiest today. And then an honorable mention. I know our Vikings fan on the text line is going to be coming at us. Oh, this Kirk Cousins has to be thrilled, dude. Jordan Addison does nothing but get open constantly. He was thrilled, by the way. He was talking all of his trash last night on the draft stage. Um, he gets open really well, and I thought the Vikings were one of the teams that might have taken Will Levis. So the fact that they didn't take a quarterback and that they did get him another pass catcher, I think, I, I think he's feeling pretty good today as well. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get into Ask Us Anything, sports or otherwise, next here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers.
1: Brought to you by Insperity. To HR issues have you boxed in? Expand your possibilities at insperity.com.
0: 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service tax line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start with this from the 314. Guys, if you could bring back one player... That was traded by the cardinals in the last seven years to help this cardinals team who would it be i'm gonna make an addendum to this sandy alcantara is off the board oh well that's not the one
4: i thought yeah it's not who i thought about either which is actually funny
3: mine would be randy rosarena okay I, i think that solves some things although i don't believe and i might be in the minority here i don't believe he is the same player in st louis that he is in tampa if you're giving me that player he helps your team tremendously because you've solved the questions in the outfield and on offense.
4: A Rose Reina was who I first thought of just because he's kind of taken, he's on fire again in Tampa Bay. And if we're taking away Alcantara, the guy I would turn to is Zach Gallen. Zach yeah. Gallon's been awesome, guys. He threw like a ninety, well, it was ninety-one mile an hour cutter changeup the other day. Mm-hmm. Did you see and that? I was, want it. It was ridiculous. And even the guy that swung at it tweeted out, he's like, that was the filthiest thing I've ever yeah. seen. So I, want it. I, I would say Zach Gallon. I mean, he's got a twenty-eight scoreless ending streak right now. If you put him at the top of this rotation, you had Flaherty as the two. That, that that's a playoff rotation and you've got two guys that can stop losing streaks which they desperately need
0: he leads major league baseball in innings and strikeouts zach gallon does so far mm. this season
4: he was traded for goldschmidt
3: right in the package or was he no, Marcelo he, zuna
0: he he was traded uh i think it was yeah, zuna you know, right yeah and, okay. then, and then they eventually dealt went him, over to
4: they dealt arizona. him to arizona for jazz chisholm
0: yeah um good trade Here's a question that I have for you guys relating to this. Does it speak? Does it give you confidence that the Cardinals can develop pitching when you see what we have seen from a Zach Gallon? Because like Sandy Alcantara, I'm not sure that he was ever going to be that here. Because he developed at the major league level. Zach Gallon went to Miami, was really good immediately for them, was really good immediately for Arizona, and then just has been good ever since. Does that give you confidence at all that they can develop pitching? They just haven't. No,
3: <laughs> just, just, and I understand what you're saying, but
0: he might've gone. To Miami. That, that would be my answer. to, by the way, answer the question. Zach Allen would be my answer as well.
3: Yeah. I mean, he went to Miami and yes, he had success right away, but it was for a different team and it's still for a different team. You just don't know. And I I do believe that the pressure for playing and pitching in St. Louis adds on to some of these guys, and some guys can't handle it, and I just don't know if he was going to be able to.
4: Yeah, I, I would say no. I, I think looking at it, one, it's a different spot, so there's less pressure where, like Zach Gallon's at, same with Alcantara. Uh, the the other one for me, too, is when you look at how the Cardinals handle it, how would they have done it? Because I, you look at Oviedo, he's another guy that's just pitching really well for Pittsburgh. I don't think he's going to be an ace like Zach Gallon is, yeah. but he could be a solid 2-3 for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They rushed Oviedo. Who's to say they wouldn't have done the same thing for a Zach Gallen? Who's to say they wouldn't do like uh, kind of what they did with Libertor? Libertor probably rushed up at the big league level, had to go back, and he's sitting in AAA right now, pitching well. We'll see how he ends up developing. But I, until I see them do it here in St. Louis, like when they did it with Jack Flaherty, I think since then they've lost the benefit of the doubt because we haven't seen them develop arms. We've heard them talk about arms, but they haven't developed one that ends up being an ace.
0: Uh, from the 618, guys, I've seen mixed reviews on what the Detroit Lions did in the draft last night. They drafted a running back and a linebacker that is obviously not the best in terms of positional value. But what did you guys think about what they did at 12 and 18 overall? Uh, they took Jameer Gibbs, for those that don't remember the draft last night or weren't paying attention. Jameer Gibbs is the running back out of Alabama, and they also took a linebacker, Jack Campbell. Out of Iowa as well. He is more athletic than you'd expect from your traditional Iowa linebacker. But, Alex, what do you think of? the Lions going running back and a linebacker in the first.
3: Round. I, I mean, I felt like Jameer Gibbs was a reach, but I also wonder if everything Detroit wanted was off the board by the time 12 rolled around, because I felt like they were looking at it an offensive lineman to be on their team. Uh, the part that I wondered is maybe they go Christian Gonzalez to continue to just build on that secondary defense, but when you had DeAndre Swift and drafting a Jameer Gibbs, it felt like a reach. But now, the the reports are that DeAndre Swift might be on the trade block. Yep. Maybe they maybe they felt that this was a better option to go younger in this aspect and get back some pieces with DeAndre Swift. But I, I did feel like they had an underwhelming first round.
4: I, I'd agree with you there. I, I thought it was very underwhelming. I thought the decision to go Gibbs that high at twelve was surprising. I wasn't surprised when Robinson went at eight. Like there was a lot of talk how high he would go. Gims felt like a back end of the draft where you trade down in like the 25s and then go and get them or trade back into the first round and go and get them. And then I like them adding linebacker. It just it doesn't do a whole lot for me. I would have liked to seen them add either whether it be Will Levis, who was sitting on the board there to sit behind Jared Goff or go get more weapons to help Jared Goff in the offense. I I felt like it was a very underwhelming draft for the Lions. I
3: mean, you could have taken uh, Jackson Smith. And I feel like that would have been like, oh, damn, they're loading up for their offense.
0: Yeah, they also, they they traded down a little too low for the corners because I thought a corner would make some sense for them. Christian Gonzalez went one pick ahead of them with yeah. uh, New England. Um, I, I thought Deontay Banks would have made a lot of sense for them as well, the cornerback out of Maryland. But if you're not going that path, it was a weird board, and this was the case with the draft. Like, it's just, it's not a very good draft if we're being totally honest with people. And so, like, The Jameer Gibbs pick was one of the most shocking of the night, for for me at least. I like the fit, though. This is one of those things where, like, I don't think you should draft a running back in the first round, just generally speaking. But if you're going to do it, you need to be a team that expects to contend right now. And that guy needs to be, like, the missing link for what you could do offensively. I think Jameer Gibbs might be that in Detroit. I mean, you look at the NFC right now, guys. How many teams are definitively better right now than the Lions? For me, I would take San Francisco over them, and I would take Philadelphia over them. I think you could take them third, the Lions.
3: I would agree with that.
0: Yeah. So in that scenario, like I do understand why you're going out and saying, hey, this running back, this linebacker, they're going to be legit starters for us from day one. They will be instant impact players. So I get where you could end up there. But if you're wrong, if your team's not as good as you're currently expecting them to be, those are not great value picks. Like six years down the road, we're probably going to look back and say, if they didn't win, those weren't great picks for Detroit. So it's, it's tough to evaluate in a vacuum, but that's kind of the way that I view it. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll dive back into the NFL with some quick hitters heading off of last night's first round, including now that the Lions did take a first round running back, where could we see DeAndre Swift traded? And do we expect to see DeAndre Hopkins traded at some point today? We'll get into all of that coming up in about 10 minutes or so. But coming up next, is Steven Matz at risk of losing his starting job for the Cardinals? Talk about it here on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: Now that they've made the decision that Wayne is going to start one more game yeah. in the minor league, yeah. I think Steven Matz will get one more start. And then if it goes badly, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, where Jake Woodford beat him out for that, for that uh, last spot. Uh, you know, they tried Matz in the bullpen last year. It was effective somewhat. But at the end of the day, if he's not going to close out hitters, you know, uh, and he's going to keep putting them all over the bases, you can't come out of the bullpen either. So... You know, Steven knows that something has to change, something, you know, he's, he's got to make some improvements to stay in this
0: rotation. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was John Ditton earlier today on with the balloon party, talking about the expectations for how the Cardinals will deploy Steven Matz moving forward. It sure sounds, Alex, as if Steven Matz is going to be pitching for his job in the rotation in his next start Now, the Cardinals did make the decision, as you heard there, that Wayno's going to get one more rehab start, which I think is smart, personally. I don't think you should rush him back. Steven Matz's next expected start for the Cardinals is coming on Tuesday against the Los Angeles Angels. Now, if you want to know what's gone wrong for Steven Matz, it's basically that he is the equivalent to pitching what to, to hitting Dylan Carlson is. Left-handed hitters are batting 150 against Steven Matz so far this year with an OPS of 520. Right-handed hitters are batting 350 against Steven Matz with a 965 OPS. Is that good? What's high score mean? It's not what you want as a starting pitcher when you have to go up against 70% of the lineup as a right-handed hitter. So it's pretty simple here. Either Steven Matz figures out his right-handed hitter problem or Steven Matz becomes a left-handed pitcher out of your bullpen that gets lefties out. Here's the problem, Alex. They have too many of those guys already in their bullpen. You got Zach Thompson. Hinesis Cabrera looks awesome right now. Andre Palante was just sent down previously because that was his role and he wasn't doing a good enough job of it. They've got Jojo Romero. Like, you've got too many of these dudes now. What do you do with Steven Matz if his next start does not go well? Well, and here's the other problem with that. How much are you paying him to be a bullpen guy? Like $10 million bucks. So you, it, it could be worse. There's there's bullpen arms that are making more.
3: Uh, I guess, but aren't they I'm trying probably, to, to say that yeah. 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 It sounds like Brett Cecil's style right there for you. Yeah. I, I mean, you can skip the start all you want, but is skipping one start really going to make that much of a difference? For, I,
0: if they make this move, I would imagine it's for the rest of the season. Like, they're not going to st- skip his start now. Now it would be he loses his job to Jake Woodford.
3: I don't feel good about that one either. Why wouldn't he lose his job to Matthew if Liebertor? He lost it?
4: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. What Matthew if Liebertor, to Liebertor, then I'd be
3: okay with. I mean, look, you can move him to the bullpen, fine. That's three guys in your bullpen, though, from the left side that... Uh, frankly, Stephen Matz would be at the bottom of that food chain. I, I mean, right now, Hennessy Cabrera and Zach Thompson are going to be going into games before Stephen Matz. So now I'm at the point where I'm using Stephen Matz, the way I was using Jordan Hicks of low leverage situations. And now I'm clogging up a roster spot and also paying him $10 million to be a guy that I'm only using when I'm losing games poorly or winning by a lot. So, I, I mean, you kind of screwed the pooch in this one right now, guys, because you're stuck with this pitcher. And if he's not getting guys out, well, you're just going to be having a body that's not going to be of 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 any use for you.
4: Yeah, I, it is a tough spot, and I I think what they end up doing is if it does go poorly, I think he does go to the bullpen, and I, I don't know if it's for the remainder of the year. That's where I would be curious to know what their plan is, because I could see where they go. You know, let's go with a long reliever for a little bit. Let's see if Matts figures it out, and if he does, then at some point we'll throw him back into the rotation. If if they don't want to go that route, I could see where they end up optioning. I think he's still on the team. I feel like I haven't seen him in a long time. Jojo Romero. I think he's <laughs> still he? here. I think so. Uh, but if they could option him. You could put Matts in there. I mean, you, BK just read off the numbers. He's really good against lefties. And yeah, yeah, but it, so
3: are like a couple of other guys in my bullpen. That,
4: that's fair. But I, I think it would be one of those to where like if Thompson's down for a day, like Thompson was probably down yesterday and they went to Cabrera. But if like Thompson Jojo Romero is, down, is on the team, right? I'm pretty yeah, he's sure he's on he the is. team,
3: um, but I, I think witness protection program.
4: Someone call the CIA. I, I think you could still utilize and have a effective Stephen Match if you put him in the bullpen. It, it wouldn't. It would be lower leverage spots, but he could still come in and be effective against left handers I think the problem he has right now is not only is he struggling, he is struggling against the right handers. So a team can just load up a lineup with righties against him. They can't really plan for that if he's in the bullpen. They can pinch hit if they want to, but I think it just allows for better situations for him. And then the other issue, which is just bizarre why this has happened i mean he's got literally no command he's walking four and a half batters per nine which would be the highest Oof. of his career so i i think you could put him in the bullpen if you had to and you could maximize him a little bit by having him in certain situations against left handers that is the worst case scenario best case scenario is he figures this out and remains in the rotation
0: so i think there's a lesson to be learned here guys don't like, pay pitchers oh sorry it, kind <laughs> of uh, um <laughs> That's right. the, the lesson to be learned here is don't pay middle of the rotation or back of the rotation arms on a four year deal. Like if you want to go out and sign a starting pitcher, that's going to be your fourth or fifth starter, 10 million bucks, go for it. I got no problem with that. Like that's exactly what you should be doing on a one year deal. The problem that the, the, the problem that they ran into with Steven Matz is, and we said this when they signed him, he projects as a fourth or a fifth starter in a rotation He's going to give you about 150 innings and you hope for like a high three, low four ERA. That's what you're hoping for out of Steven Matz. Maybe there's some more upside there, but he was 31 when they signed him. The, The overwhelming likelihood is he's going to be the pitcher that he was previously. The problem is if there's some regression there, especially as a lefty, it can go so fast, guys. And so when they gave him a four-year contract worth $45 million, that is not a massive lump sum of money. And $10 million, $11 million a year, not a huge amount. But it does potentially prevent you from going out there and making other moves in any year-to-year basis. And it limits your flexibility, whether it be with options. Like Imagine if instead of Steven Matz right now, it was Matthew Libertor who's in that spot in the rotation. I don't think the results would be remarkably different, better or worse. Like They they might be significantly better. I don't think they would be significantly worse. And it allows you a lot more flexibility, both with that spot on your roster and the $10 million that you can spend elsewhere. So I think the lesson to be learned for the Cardinals is just, Hey, don't be spending multi-year deals on back end of the rotation starters, especially going out and getting them in free agency, especially when they throw left-handed.
3: Well, then you're not signing pitchers in free agency because that's all they dive into. They're not going at the top of the food chain. They're going in the middle of the pack and saying, well, let's give them an extra couple of years so that they'd be willing to come here.
4: I... I think you're right in terms of that's how they've been doing it, but I, I think they need. I think they will learn the lesson of if we're going to go spend big, and, and mostly when I say spend big, because I agree with BK. If you had Matt's on like a two-year deal worth ten million dollars a year. Sure, not bad. Hell, honestly, we'd be talking about DFAing him at that point if he was this bad and this was the last year of his contract. I, I think the lesson that is learned is don't hand out those multi-year deals, and they learn this with position players, I believe, unless there's someone I'm forgetting where it was always hey they were handing out multi-year deals to kind of those average bats, kind of the leadoff guys like Dexter Fowler, for example, gave him a multi-year deal when I was like, he's not a star player. So you shouldn't hand him a multi-year contract. Same can be said with the back end of the arm rotation guys. Like if they want to hand out a multi-year deal, the guys they should be targeting are like the Aaron Nolas in the off season. Like yep. they should be prepared to go a five to seven year deal with Aaron Nola, a guy that's been healthy in his career and has a stuff.
3: But what has led you believe that this Cardinals team would say, you know what? He's worth five to six to seven year deals.
4: I Well, that's the thing is like, Will they do it? I don't think so. Should they do it? Absolutely. They, this is where it comes to the conversation of the Cardinals have to start adapting to the business of Major League Baseball. It is no longer going to be easier to get those those aces on short term deals unless they're like in their forties, like Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. They got to be able to get of, uncomfortable.
0: An example of what I'm talking about, too, like even just on the lower end, instead of signing Steven Matz a few years ago, sign that. Offseason's equivalent of Noah Syndergaard and I'm not telling you that Noah Syndergaard is a good player he's not he, he has a six ERA this year but he's the you know god of who thunder else has a six you know who else has a six ERA this year Stephen Mass so at least for the Dodgers they're on a one-year deal where if this doesn't work out for them they can in season him or trade him or after the season replace him with somebody else from the free agency market like that's That is the benefit of doing business that way. Boston, Corey Kluber, one-year, $10 million deal. Uh, The Baltimore Orioles, Kyle Gibson, one-year, $10 million deal. All these guys are basically the same pitcher as Steven Matz. But the Cardinals had to have Steven Matz in that specific offseason, so they decided to give him a four-year deal worth $44 million. Uh, The lesson to be learned here is very simply, don't pay back end of the rotation arms this kind of money over that many years it's the same lesson that I do think they've learned on on uh bullpen arms where you can't give a middle innings reliever a three-year contract it's just a silly thing to do it doesn't make any sense for this team given the way they operate if you're the Mets you're the Dodgers you're the Yankees you're gonna give out 200 million dollars every year on your payroll plus some sure okay well then whatever like it's just more money who who cares but for the Cardinals, where they operate on a budget, I don't think it's the smartest way to go about their business. Coming up next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including two veterans that might be on the trade market today. We could watch them potentially get dealt by the end of the night. And who was the team that you think came away with the best hole in the first round of the NFL draft? I know me and Alex are on the same page with that one. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
0: All right, let's dive into some NFL quick hitters alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kyle's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Guys, let's start with the first round of the NFL draft. The biggest surprise at the beginning of the night was first the Houston Texans going two with C.J. Stroud, and then they ended up trading all the way up to number three. They wanted their cake and to eat it too, and they got Will Anderson Jr. by trading next year's first round pick for Will Anderson Jr. to go up from 12 to 3. Guys, when you saw that they went Stroud and Will Anderson, what was your reaction? What'd
3: winners you of the draft. they won. The, really? They won the draft, in my opinion, with that move.
0: Oh, okay. This will be interesting. Why? I, I I thought they got the
3: best quarterback there. I've made that very clear that I believe C.J. Stroud is the best out of all of them. And then, I, I mean, we, we talked yesterday that it made no sense for Houston going a defensive player at number two. But you draft your quarterback... And then you go out there and you also draft the best defensive player that makes your team a little bit better. And let's be honest, the only good thing about Houston last year was the fact that at least their defense was usable. So. I viewed that as saying, look, you gave up next year's first round pick, which, yeah, maybe it's going to be a really good selection once again. But if if C.J. Stroud is the quarterback that I believe he's going to be, that can actually bring some success to Houston. And you got Will Anderson, who could be a difference maker then you're going to be projecting in the positive direction and that first round pick doesn't matter.
4: Yeah, I I, I like their draft. I I like what they did because I I forgot about this and this is why originally I had the reaction of like, whoa, I can't believe they're giving up a first round pick to move up there. They've got the Browns first round pick next year and and that changes the equation for me Mm -hmm. of, okay, you still have a first round pick. Let's be honest. I think Cleveland's going to suck in the AFC. So you're probably going to have a pretty high draft pick. I, I like it because you get your quarterback, And you end up going out and you say, you know what? We want one of the best defensive players on the draft. He's a difference maker. Probably the second best, depending on how you view Jalen Carter. But you go out there and you get a a pass rusher. I I think they did great. Now, I don't know if I would say they won the draft because they gave up some capital. But I I thought their draft was really good. Yeah,
3: but you're banking on giving up your first-round pick over Cleveland's first-round pick that you're going to be better than Cleveland. And honestly, if
0: C.J. Stroud, again, is the guy I believe he's going to be, you'll be better than Cleveland. Oh, I... I hated them trading up to three. I loved the C.J. Stroud pick. I thought it was super smart to take C.J. Stroud at number two. I didn't even necessarily, like, in theory, hate them moving up to three to take Will Anderson Jr. And then I saw what they gave up, which was number 12, number 33, a first-round pick next year, and a third-round pick next year. Dude, I don't care how much draft capital you have. Will Anderson Jr. better be like, Khalil Mack, immediately, for that to be worth it. Now, if he is, cool, more power to them, maybe it ends up working out. But that team is not good enough to be making an all-in move like that right now. You should have waited, stay at number 12. If you want to do a slight trade-up, cool, but don't make that move right now. I I thought it was silly to make a move like that. Think about how much better Will Anderson Jr. needs to be Van Lucas Van Ness, for example, a defensive end that ended up going number 13 overall. So he would have been there at 12 if they had just stayed put. To be worth another third this year and a first and a third next year, thats or excuse me, a second this year and a first and a third next year, that's just a lot of draft capital to give up for one guy. You better be right. So I, I did not like that move by them. The draft that I loved, though, I don't know how the Eagles keep getting away with this, man. (laughs) It doesn't make any sense to me. When I think best draft of the night, Jalen Carter and Nolan Smith from that Georgia defensive line being reunited in Philadelphia after last year they got Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean, the linebacker and defensive tackle from Georgia, four of their top players on that amazing 2021 Georgia uh, defense are now in Philadelphia. I thought Philly once again hit it out of the park with just an outstanding draft night for them. Alex, who won the drafts to you?
3: Yeah, Philly had a great one. I can't wait to watch Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter dominate uh, that front defense with Fletcher Cox. Seattle was the other one that won the draft for me. I mean, to be able to get Devon Witherspoon, who they were saying on the broadcast last night, I mean, they're basically trying to recreate the Legion of Boom in the secondary, and then to go out there and get Jackson Smith for the wide receiver core that already has Lockett and uh, why am I blanking on his name right Metcalf. now? D.K. Yes. Metcalf. I mean, if if Geno Smith continues to be this guy, I mean, that's, that's a hell of an offensive threat that you've got on top of the running back that emerged last year for him. So I, I thought Seattle had an incredible draft also.
4: Yeah, I think both those teams ended up having the incredible draft. Seattle was one that I looked to because I, I said on air yesterday before the draft that I thought they should take Witherspoon because then you get kind of your Richard Sherman version of him in terms of building the Legion of Boom, and you got Bobby Wagner that's back. Now, they're probably going to get run the hell over this year because they can't stop oh. the run and they didn't draft uh, Carter who was sitting there for him but I, I think they addressed that later on in the draft and then I, ju- I just love the fact that they're willing to go out there and get that uh, receiver because it just adds more weapons and Lockett's getting up there in age so now you get a younger body in there that's fresher DK Metcalf has dealt with injuries in the past as well like I, I just love what they did and if there's anything that's going to be beneficial to Geno Smith it's having those three guys and getting the ball out of his hands quickly so I, I love the Seahawks draft
0: uh, I Like I said, for me, the winner was the Philadelphia Eagles. Guys, the quarterback fit that you like the most, Bryce Young in Carolina, C.J. Stroud in Houston, or Anthony Richardson in, in uh, Indianapolis. Which one of those fits do you like the best?
3: I'm skeptical on Anthony Richardson, but if I had to go fit, I would say Anthony Richardson with the Indianapolis Colts. I think you got Same. a mobile quarterback with a really good offensive line, although they weren't. Year, uh, you've got a smart head coach in Frank Reich, and, and I didn't realize all of the talent they have on the coaching staff. I mean, you got Jim Caldwell, you've got um,
0: uh, Cowan. Is that who it was Shane Steichen? Is their off or is their head coach? Who's now? their
3: quarterback coach? Oh no, I'm thinking of the Carolina Panthers. I'm sorry, I'm thinking Carolina Panthers. The the coaching staff that they've got, but I just I like what the Indianapolis Colts did with that and having a mobile quarterback to fit into that team.
4: See, I, I think the Colts were one of the biggest losers of the first round. I, what? I think I don't like the Richardson pick at all at four. I, I think he's a massive bust. There's too many question marks. Sure. You can see signs of it, but I don't think it comes together. Yeah, so
0: many questions about the 6'4", 240-pound freak athlete that ran a 4'4". four. played 13 and games and basically... was
4: not that great in college. Like, I, I mean, I'm out on Richardson. I think that's a bust. I, that's, I think that's crazy. I think Ballard just crazy. signed his death wish. I, I think Steigen is going to be fired soon after because they can't develop him. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, that was the loss of the night. Plus, I, I see, think I the think Carolina did. Stroud, and look, I, I like Stroud, but Stroud, I don't think he's going to have success in Houston because it's Houston. I, I think Bryce Young is the best fit. I think they've got the best coach in Frank Reich there. I've, we've seen him develop quarterbacks in the past. Yes, things went awry in Indy, but that's because of talent deficit. I, I think that Bryce Young's in the best situation and, I, and that's why I love him going number one overall. I know everybody questions his size, but as Booger McFarland said last night on the broadcast, I'm not concerned about the size because the talent's too good. So I, I think he's in the best spot.
3: Yeah, we'll see how that talent works when you're face down on the turf the entire game.
4: Oh, um, I,
0: I love the, the Richardson fit. Like, really love the Anthony Richardson fit. And the reason why is what you mentioned, Alex, the coaching. You've got Shane Steichen coming over from Philadelphia where he was able to help develop Jalen Hurts mm-hmm. the exact same way that you wants to develop Anthony Richardson. Start him out as a runner build up the pass catchers around him over the next year or so. You have a great running game already with a solid offensive line that, Alex, I agree with you. They weren't very good last year, but there's the talent to be a really good unit up front. And you have an excellent running back that you can lean on in a defense that, at worst, is talented. So, I I think Indy is a really interesting team this year. I don't think they're going to win the South, but I think they can compete for a wild card spot similar to what Philly did two years ago, where it's like, yeah, something like that this year with enough to get you excited about what 2024 can be. I loved an Anthony Richardson pick. I think he's got the potential to be a superstar. Yes, a superstar in the AFC South. Wouldn't shock me if 2 years from now we're talking about him as being better than Trevor Lawrence. All suck right. Now, no, if anything, that, that, Tanner Tanner. In anything
4: that just reaffirmed that I'm going to be right because that's a BKO waiting to happen. Tanner, so I, I feel much me, better now.
3: As you told me yesterday, you suck.
0: <laughs> Final thing here as we go through some NFL quick hitters. Guys, where do you want to see Will Levis end up? The Kentucky quarterback or you can uh, let's throw Hinden Hooker in here as well cuz he'll probably go off the board pretty quickly in the second round early picks that might make some sense just to give you guys some teams that are there the lions pick at 34 the rams are at 36 seahawks 37 raiders 38 saints 40 titans 41 and the falcons at 44 so there are a lot of options in the top 10 to 15 today in the second round who do you think makes sense for Hinden hooker and or will levis
3: will levis to me just detroit I mean, if you're concerned about him with the turf toe, cool. Guess what? We got a quarterback this year who nearly got us into the playoffs. You got a year of that, and then Will Levis can take over next year. I thought C.J. Stroud should have been the spot, but they didn't go that route. So I would say Will Levis with Detroit and, I mean, T-Bone's team, the L.A. Rams. Maybe they get their Hendon Hooker in the second round.
4: I would love to see the Rams take Hooker. I, I think – what or not Hooker, excuse me, Levis, if he falls that far – I think they're going to end up going edge there at 36th overall. I think their hope is that Hooker will fall to the third round and they'll take him there. But I think the team is going to take Levis. I think it's Seattle at 37. Mm. Hey, With his arm, it reminds me so much of the arm that Russell Wilson has. And again, I'm not saying he has the accuracy of Russell Wilson, but that's something that if, if there was a coach that I would trust to develop Will Levis with the cannon of an arm that he has, it would be Pete Carroll. He did it with Russell Wilson. So I think will Levis to Seattle city year behind Geno Smith develop, and then you can kind of start to work him into your offense. I think that's the best place for him to go.
0: The team that should be hoping and praying that he's there for them is Tampa Bay. Now they don't pick until 50. They've got a little ways in the second round before they're selecting. I don't understand. Do not get it. Why they chose not to go with one of those two quarterbacks in the first round. They have nobody, man. Baker Mayfield is their starter right now. The rest of that roster, guys, is not that bad. It's not. They should have been better last year than they were. They had a bunch of injuries, and it just obviously did not work out the way that they were hoping. But they've got really good pass catchers, and this is a team that should be better than that. They're a team that for either Hindenhooker or Will Levis, I think they make a lot of sense. For whoever doesn't go back that far, whoever doesn't drop, Uh, I I think the saints are a team that make a lot of sense. Yeah. Put them behind Derek Carr, let them learn for a year. And then next year they end up becoming your starter. Most likely um, whenever you decide to move on from Derek Carr, the Titans are another one at 41 that like, I just think they make all the sense in the world for one of these teams, especially if they're moving off of Ryan Tannehill, take a shot with them in the second round. You haven't given up a ton of draft capital. I think those are the teams that make the most sense. All right, guys, final thing. We'll get out of here on this. If there's one veteran that you think will be traded today, veteran player that will be traded in the second or the third round, who is it?
3: I mean, I got to go DeAndre Swift here. I wish it would be DeAndre Hopkins, but I think it's going to be Swift. The rumors are already out there. You just drafted a running back. I don't know how much longer you can sit on that if you're Detroit. Maybe you try and get an extra pick in the second or third round. So I would say Swift is going to be the one that gets traded.
4: I like that one. The other one that I kind of thought about was, and I saw this, uh, I think it was yesterday or two days ago. Apparently Austin Eckler, remember he requested a trade from LA. Mm -hmm. Apparently there has been interest around him. I wonder if you see Eckler end up getting dealt today for a second. or One of those two
3: guys are going to Philly. One of those two guys will go to Philadelphia.
0: Somebody that I'm really curious about is Ryan Tannehill. Do we see him traded at some point today? And if we do, what about Derek Henry? Do we see Derrick Henry potentially on the move but before thought, the end of this year? I draft.
3: thought all the reports on him were that he's been shopped around and nobody was interested.
0: I think I I, I will be very curious to see what happens there. I don't think that Derrick Henry will, will be traded. I think the Titans say, hey, we've got a franchise icon. We're not going to deal him. But Ryan Tannehill is the one really that I would be looking at and saying, I, I think he gets moved at some point before the end of this draft. And it could happen at some point tonight. All right, coming up next. Speaking of happening by the end of the weekend, the Cardinals could finish in a surprisingly good spot in the National League by the end of the weekend. I know it sounds ridiculous. I'm somehow not kidding. We'll tell you why coming up next year on 101 ESPN.
2: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: You snap out of funks by playing smart, not by hitting your way out of it. Or like, you, you have to start doing the small things well, and that's on the bases. That's defensively. That's um, even little things like the, hitting the front part of the bag there. Like when, when you're going through a rut and you start missing on those details, then that's when you go prolong this thing. But the fact that they're dialed in enough to still lock into those things, that's what's going to get us out of this.
0: That's so what Ollie Marble had to say yesterday after the Cardinals pick up a big win on the road in San Francisco. The Cardinals are coming. The Cardinals are coming. No, they're not. We are back. And alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We got this from the text line from the 636. Uh-oh, I hear some cherry picking <laughs> coming from BK. What if I told you Oh Jesus! that by the end of the weekend, the Cardinals could have the same record as the Dodgers... The Phillies and the Padres. How would they do that, BK? Very simply, Alex. I'm glad you asked. Thank you for doing so. The Dodgers are 13-13 and 13 right now. They've got three coming up against St. Louis. The Cardinals are 10-16 and 16 right now. They've got three coming up head-to-head against the Dodgers. So, if the Dodgers <laughs> sweep this series, they will be 13-16, and 16, as will the Dodgers. Oh, my God. The Phillies are 13-13 and 13 on the season. They've got three coming up on the road this weekend at Houston. Get swept. They're 13 and 16 on the season. The Padres are 13 and 14 on the season. They've got two coming up against San Francisco, the team that we just saw. They're pretty good, man. That team is hitting its stride, apparently. (laughs) They lose those two games. Padres are 13 and 16 on the season. All four of those teams, if things go according to plan, are 13 and 16 on the year. Let's go one step further, Alex. The Mets are 15 and 11 right now. We would all agree the Mets are considered to be a contender this year, right? It's fair. Yep. They've got four coming up against Atlanta. If they get swept in that series, they're 15 and 15. You're just a game and a half back, baby.
3: The only realistic thing you just said was that the Braves can sweep that series. That's the only realistic thing you just said in that whole sentence.
0: The Phillies could get swept by Houston.
3: Uh, the Phillies also could beat the Houston Astros. The Phillies have won five consecutive games, and Houston just choked up a series loss to, who was it? Wasn't
4: it the Pirates? No, no You're thinking of uh, Texas oh, was, being swept by the Reds. No,
3: Houston choked up a really embarrassing series, and I don't remember who it was against. You know what's also fun to look at the numbers, BK? Mr. Yep. I'll be Mr. Pessimistic Pete right now while well, oh. you're optimistic. Oh, Owen. good. The Cardinals literally just did against the Giants what they've done in all but two series so far this season. Only win the last game of the series. What what should I sit here and listen to you spew that nonsense from Kansas City that they're going to go out there and sweep the Dodgers? When they By couldn't the, way, the Astros couldn't, have
0: won 7 of their last 9 games against the Blue Jays, the Braves and the Rays. So, uh that's that's yeah. gone pretty well for them, I would say.
3: What what in what world do should I believe that after losing a series to the Diamondbacks to the Mariners? Yeah, I also watched the day before that and the day before that and the day before that.
0: Man, this thing's getting righted. Okay. The expected numbers are becoming the actual numbers now. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt is hitting again. <laughs> Tyler O'Neill is about to go on a run. How's Nolan You got Aronato Paul DeYoung. Paul DeYoung is back in the lineup. The king You've got has Lars Newbar getting on base 40% of the time. They know what roles their outfielders are fitting in. The defense has taken a step forward. Did you see Miles Michaelis yesterday? Have you seen this bullpen lately with Henesis Cabrera and Jordan Hicks? And let's not talk about Ryan Helsley, but Giovanni Gallegos from
3: the 314. Like, if 12 things go exactly our way, they're right back
0: in it. That's right. Not well, yeah, pretty much 12. Uh, just individual <laughs> games, though 12, 12 individual games
3: uh sorry I'll uh, I'll be the pessimistic one here like this is all, what I've been all season like cool congrats you did this in one game uh you also have the shutout against the Pirates earlier this season and then you uh choked up a 6-3 loss the next day you also shut out the Brewers 6-0 to uh, and then you lost 6-1 to the next day and then lost 7-4 to right. against Herman Marquez like g- this g- is what me, they've done
0: give me one brief thing though here like The reason I bring this up is not to say, like, the Cardinals are back and they're really good now. Like, obviously, most of what I was just saying was tongue-in-cheek. The reason I bring this up is because I think it indicates just how weird the National League has been this year. Yeah. That if – and it's it's not crazy. What I just said is not an outlandish thing. The Cardinals sweep the Dodgers. It it feels weird to say right now, but, like – That could happen this weekend. Nobody should be shocked if the Cardinals win three games head-to-head against the Dodgers. Dodgers are going through their own struggles right now, guys. The Padres could easily lose two games against the San Francisco Giants. The Phillies could absolutely lose the next three games against a very good Houston Astros team. Now, the Mets won. Like, throw that out, right? They're going up against the Braves. Could they lose four straight? Sure. But throw that out because the other teams are the ones that are potentially going to be tied with you in the record Uh, after this weekend the reason I bring that up is because I think we all agree those teams are contenders right we're watching them from the outside looking in as opposed to being there every day but the Dodgers Phillies and Padres were considered to be contenders coming into the season and if a few things go the Cardinals way they could all be tied after the next three games that isn't to say that everything's fine for the Cardinals and that nothing has gone wrong and you should feel really good about where they're at not at all It is to say that because things have been weird to start out the season in the National League, the rest of the league has not pulled away from the Cardinals in the way that I would have otherwise expected them to. The really good teams that we expect to be there at the end of the season are all having the same kinds of struggles as the Cardinals have been. And that's really good for the Cardinals, man, especially given what comes up for their schedule when they get home. We all said after May, that's when we can potentially get on the panic bus. Because that's when the schedule opens up. Angels, Detroit, Cubs, the Red Sox, uh, a struggling Dodgers team, the Reds. Like, if you're not doing well after that, cool, we can talk, and then potentially we can bury them. But right now, if things go well for you this weekend against the Dodgers and things go poorly for three other teams in the National League – We're talking about them being right back into the thick of things.
4: And and things really set up well for the Cardinals in this series against the Dodgers, at least in my opinion. I mean, you've got Jack Flaherty going tonight, who's been really good at his last handful of outings. And yes, they're going up against Dustin May, So that's kind of a wash in the pitching matchup. But that's where, if you have a good offense, and I think the Cardinals' offense is deeper than the Dodgers'. They should be able to come through and win this game. You look at tomorrow, you've got Montgomery, who's been your best pitcher on the mound, and they're going up against Kershaw. And you go, well, Kershaw, well, the Cardinals crushed left-handed pitching. So, in theory, again, the offense, if they're riding the ship, should be able to take care of business. And then in that final game, you've got Woodford Woodford versus uh, Syndergaard, and Syndergaard's been awful this year. So, things are looking like it's, hey— the offense which did have a good game yesterday should be able to come through for the cardinals and they should be able to at minimum take two of three in my opinion they
3: haven't put together a three-game winning streak yet this season and i don't believe that the dodgers are going to be that spot that they start doing it maybe you maybe you probably Probably you know I am, or a realist, as I like to tell maybe, people.
4: Maybe this will get you better in the mood for some more optimists. All right.
3: Sunshine,
0: lollipops, oh, and yeah. rainbows—everything yeah. that's wonderful. young <laughs> is <laughs> hitting the ball really hard again. The Cardinals coming back out, first it is hitting the ball again. Here come the Cardinals right around the corner. Man,
3: your singing's already bad, but then you sit in a bathroom and do it—it's even worse. sunshine. Tanner's like, Tanner's like, Tanner's like like bopping to this. Like he's at a kid's bop live concert.
4: Yeah, Yeah.
0: Guys, Jason Hayward is batting third for the Dodgers right now. Like consistently. That's not a one-off. That's a thing that has been happening regularly. How's he doing? Well, Jason Hayward, since you asked, um, is batting on the season 191. He's getting on base 29% of the time. He is hitting the hell out of the ball. And he is slugging 400.
4: His expected numbers are probably pretty good. Nope. Oh, Jason
0: Hayward, not a good baseball player. At well, this point there in goes his a
3: three-run home run tonight.
0: He is the number three hitter for the LA Dodgers. Their number five hole hitter has been David Peralta, who you may remember as the guys that the card, the guy that the Cardinal said, "Yeah, we like our internal yeah, options." Better
3: BK, our uh, T Bone really wanted him. Yeah, I did. He sucks
0: now. <laughs> they just. They're not very good right now, guys. They have Mookie Betts. They have Freddie Freeman. Like, those guys are amazing. Max James Muncy. Altman has been every bit as good as expected so far this year. Max Muncie is tearing the cover off of the baseball so far this year. He's been on the paternity list. My guess is he'll be back this weekend. But the Cardinals the Cardinals pitching should look pretty good this weekend. I know famous last words. We've said that before, but there's, there's not a lineup out. that should burn them too bad. And The Cardinals lineup should be able to get back on track in at least two of these games this weekend. They're going up against a lefty. I don't care if it's Clayton Kershaw. They're very good against left-handed pitching. And Noah Syndergaard, frankly, is just not good at this point in his career.
3: And there's the complete game. Who was the last guy that they went up against who has not been good this year? Oh, that's right. Alex Cobb, who hadn't thrown a complete game shutout since 2012.
0: That's not fair. Alex Cobb had like a 3-3 ERA.
4: And and tip your cap because he pitched well. uh, What about Vince Velasquez? How's he doing? He's actually well. Pittsburgh's got the most quality starts in the rotation Okay, good. in baseball. Good, 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 good.
3: Can't wait to uh, talk about this on Monday, guys.
0: They did well against Bumgarner.
3: Yeah,
4: they did. They <laughs> were so that? good, they had to <laughs> cut him.
3: I don't know if anybody's having a worse season than Madison Bumgarner.
4: Yeah,
3: yeah so
0: take that, hater. Okay. Coming up next, <laughs> we're diving into the junk drawer with my story from last night. I think you're going to want to stay tuned for this. The NFL draft got a little weird. We'll talk about it next year on 101
2: ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. A junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to
1: you by Fenton Bar and Grill. Best Trust wings in Missouri. Dine in. Carry
3: out. Seven days a week.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. So, Alex, I'm in Kansas City for the NFL Draft this weekend. Went out to the first round yesterday. Made sure to get there as early as I could to, to get a good spot. Right, get the right view of the stage as you're out there. So I get out there around 2:30 or so. I think Jesus. is when we officially arrived at the draft yesterday, and it was already getting pretty full. I'm sorry, at that but point.
3: I'm not sitting around for four and a half hours.
0: Just hung out drank some beer enjoyed the good weather had some good conversation with some friends it was great old time so we're hanging out now the problem is there is one beer tent in the main stage area right it's called the bud light beer tent right
3: oh so you just wait in line for four and a half hours
0: correct basically we waited about 35 or 40 minutes for the first round of beers yeah which is fine like we've we've got all the time in the world right it's about six o'clock now. We're ready for our next round of beers. We don't want to go up to the um, up to the tent whenever the draft is actually taking place. So we're getting ready to go get them. And instead of going to this tent that we went to last time where we waited so long, there's the other side of the draft, which is like the NFL draft experience, right? You got the kids that are running around. They're kicking the footballs. They've got all the Super Bowl trophies on display. Like, it's a cool little area. It's, on the, it's just on the other side of the World War I uh, monument out here. So we decide, you know what? It seemed like the lines were a little shorter over there. We'll walk over there this time around. So we do that. I get a text from my dad, who's not at the draft. We didn't have great service last night out there because there were so many people in the area. I get a text from him, and he says, hey, I just got a text that it's been. it's at capacity now. I was like, oh, damn, that's crazy, man. They're already at capacity at 6 o'clock. We still got an hour before the draft begins. I look over at my buddy because most of the group is still over in the other area that we were standing at. And we went over to go get the beer for everybody. I look over at my buddy and I was like, wait, he mentioned a specific area where they've reached capacity. We're not in that area right now. I was like, we should get out of this line. We we were like three people behind. We were getting ready to go get the beers at this point. We're very close to the line. It's like, we need to go back, dude. This This could be potentially problematic for us. So we start walking back. We get to the area where they let you in to to view the the draft. They're like, hey, we're we're at capacity. You guys oh, can't go yes. in. Yes. I was like, well, what do you mean? All of my stuff at this point is over there. Like, <laughs> everything that we brought is is in the area. We've been standing here for four hours. We, we got to get back in. Then a few people walk out. I was like, all right, you guys are at, no longer at capacity, well, right? That was such a out.
3: BK move. All three guys just left.
0: No, you're not at capacity. <laughs> we're good to go. <laughs> And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm really sorry, but our bosses have told us nobody in, nobody out for the rest of the night.
4: I'm looking at my buddy.
0: I'm like, dude, this is not going to work. Like, we got to find a way to get in there. We waited all this time. I took off of work. Tommy is in the draft. Like, our boss, everybody's over there. We got to find a way to get in. So there's a few people in front of us that have, like, tried to go around and then potentially get in by either hopping the fence or finding an opening. And they're like running them down and making sure that they get them back out so we decide we're gonna wait for the next person to get caught and then we'll jump the fence and we'll go about it that way it's the only way we're getting in so we might as well test our luck and then just run into the crowd alex I'm not sure I should be admitting this on public radio. Tell me you but got caught
3: and tell me you're broadcasting from a prison cell
0: right now. We did not get caught. I watched the entire draft from the North line. We were good to go. Boys, we succeeded. We jumped that fence. We sprinted into the crowd. And we were heroes last night. Now we didn't get any beer, yes. and then we went up to the Bud heroes Light tent. Heroes or criminals? So here's here's the second part of this story. We go back up to the Bud Light tent that we were having to to wait 45 minutes for the beers, right? Because at this point we've already waited 20 at the other one. We had to get back in, so that took a little while to be able to get back into the area where you can actually view the the draft. Now we go back up to the Bud Light tent where we're waiting 45 minutes for beer again. We get to the front. The guy in front of us orders whatever four Bud Lights. The lady says, "I'm really sorry, we're out of Bud Light." Nice. So what do you mean? He said, "We're we're out of Bud Light." He said, "This is the Bud Light tent." What do you mean you're out of Bud Light? It's like going they were to down to out of chicken,
4: Bud Light seltzers, oh yeah, and wine. That oh. was it. That's all they had remaining for they the probably, rest of the night. They probably hadn't sold any wine until yeah. that point.
3: <laughs> it was amazing. People are getting wine drunk out there with this one. My question though is like. You can't tell me I can't go back in there. My stuff is in there, so I, technically I was at I was a part of the capacity in Correct. that area. So you have to let me back in that's what i don't understand yeah i would like, hop that fence too i would have been like no
4: see the way i thought the story was gonna go is he was he thought they were in the clear and then he fell over the fence and oh, then he yeah. got caught that's I, where i thought the story was going bk
3: is absolutely the type of person that tries to hop the fence and his pant leg gets caught on the yeah. top portion of yeah. the chain link fence so I did i'm did trip. i not
0: gonna lie to you i did trip Okay, um, i knew he did i knew okay, it had to good. be possible i was i was very lucky to be able to have somebody that was in front of me that had already gotten caught so the the security guards were all looking in the other direction, but I jumped over, slipped, hit my nice. face down on the ground a little bit, and then whew, was moving even
3: back. I up. really wish you would have got caught. And the point of this story is that you are sitting in a jail cell right now and you didn't tell us that at the beginning.
0: Yeah. Nope, 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 nope. Ended up finding a way to get into it. <laughs> I just don't understand how you can tell somebody that this is a free event. On public lawns. That's BS. (laughs) we have reached capacity while I'm watching people walking in or out. And the smart
3: smart part is like you'd be giving people wristbands, right, in the area so that you know, like, the capacity is the wristbands. That's what they should have
4: done. So if you're
0: walking out to get beer, you got to go back in. They didn't even... So you have to register to get in? They didn't even check my phone as we were walking in yesterday because Yikes. all of the, the registers or whatever were down. Okay, so it the was, event's
3: not run very properly is what you're telling us.
0: It was a nightmare. An absolute nightmare. And um, a criminal. One thing that I will say, I miss being able to watch... Mel Kiper and all of the analysis while you're at the draft. That is the one say, letdown of be, of you know, being here.
4: Going to an NFL draft just doesn't really it interest doesn't. me.
3: Like I think I would prefer to just watch it at home, have my own beer that's free, yeah. have my own bathroom that I can go to the restroom at free never get
4: kicked out of like the never family have, room for yeah, example never
3: have to hop a fence to get back into my spot where i'm going to stand the entire time and probably not see or hear anything
0: i th- i thought it was going to be the biggest bko ever where i come to the nfl yeah, draft and i incredible. show up four hours early go to another line to get a beer and am then barred from re-entering the nfl draft i was been. fully prepared for the biggest bko what? of my personal
4: life what, what all did you take with you to the draft that was over there i mean we had like
0: my buddy his girlfriend was with us she had her purse that was still in on the other side my jacket and everything was on the other Hold side on, she left I had her phone purse? chargers she left her purse in an area well yeah we had other people that were like holding our spot where we were sitting on the lawn and they still wouldn't people with us and huh? they still wouldn't let you in if you had a group waiting for you no <laughs> man those security guards are terrible that's, that's what I didn't understand. I My buddy was like, hey, man, you were a little mean. I was like, yeah, deservedly so. Like, there are literally people sitting in there with our stuff. Yeah, we are the amazing. capacity. The guy in front of us was like, my kids are in there. He's like, yeah, have them call you. He said, they're four. They don't have, have them call you. <laughs> it was amazing. It's absolutely incredible. All right, coming oh, up next. Oh, God. The Cardinals are going down the final path to fix fix their issues with a consistent lineup. Is it going to matter? We'll talk about that next
2: year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the P.K. and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
5: I do think when you look at the the lineup, there's been a lot of pieces that have been changing. And and I think trying to find a little bit more consistency in that is something that we're going to try to do. In other words, allow players to get into some sort of flow. And and I think that rhythm just hasn't been there. So, you know, I think the one thing I'd ask for from our fan base right now is a little bit of patience. um, Because we do think that that we do have the talent to win. And we always got to remind ourselves it's still April.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, on Brandon Kiley. That will not be the case for a whole lot longer. That was John Mosaylock on Valley Sports Midwest earlier this week when asked about why the Cardinals decided to make the move with Jordan Walker. Why they brought back, we don't have to talk about this today, uh, Taylor Motter and how that is going to play into their ability to have a consistent lineup. Oliver Marmel had some interesting comments on this as well to Derek Gould yesterday. Alex, here's what he said. Quote, the key to all of this is to be able to give guys consistent at-bats and to throw a similar lineup every day to allow players to get into a rhythm. Hopefully, someone runs away with the opportunity and you just go from there. This is a chance for these guys to go out there with a little bit more consistency, end quote. You look at what the lineup has been over really the last week or so. Lars Newbar is batting first. Paul Goldschmidt's batting second Nolan Gorman's batting third Nolan Arenado is batting fifth Wilson Contreras uh, excuse me Nolan Arenado is batting fourth Wilson Contreras batting fifth and then Tyler O'Neill is typically either him or Alec Burleson batting sixth it is pretty clear they're running with the same lineup this is like a hey, let's revert back to the Mike Schilt days type of a scenario. They're going with the same three guys against right-handed pitching regularly in the outfield. Paul DeYoung has become your starting shortstop again. He started four of the last five games there. Alex, how do you feel about this? Do you think it changes anything? I
3: don't know if it changes anything, I, and I'm but, I'm but I'm glad they're doing it because although I'm kind of on the fence with it, there are many who look at this and say the reason this Cardinals – team is struggling is because Ollie changes the lineup on a daily basis. And maybe not in certain areas to where it's the same spot, but in terms of the players that are fringe players that you're trying to figure out, the Carlson's, the O'Neill's, the Burleson's, the Edmonds, the Donovan's, the Young's, like these guys, now you have no more excuses. Now you can't sit here and say, oh, well, Ollie's moving the lineup around too much, or well, these guys aren't getting the proper at-bats to figure it out. Now you don't have to worry about that anymore. This is the path they're going down so that They can eliminate that question, and then they can start really analyzing what this team looks like if the struggles continue. And if they don't continue, if this team is what they were yesterday against the Giants on a consistent basis and the lineup is staying consistent... Well, then now you figured it out for the good. Now you figured out we need to keep a little bit of consistency with our lineup, and it's going to help us make decisions on roster players.
4: Yeah, I, I think this might help get some of the outfielders going. Tyler O'Neill, for example, like his numbers aren't awful, but it just hasn't felt like it's been clicking for him. Uh, Alec Burleson, who'd been kind of going through a cold spell, now he knows he's in the lineup every day and doesn't have to look over his shoulder. So I, I do think this is going to play somewhat of a benefactory to the guys in the outfield and, and I think it just helps knowing hey I've got my role I don't have to worry about going looking over my shoulder because it it is tough to play as a platoon bat there's a reason that when you look at some of the teams that try platoons it doesn't work like the Giants last year for example they went from being a 105 win team to a team that missed the playoffs and, and part of that is just the skill of the player but also I think it is it's tough to get guys into a rhythm but I, I think really the the overwhelming reason this offense just hasn't been hitting isn't mostly because of, Oh, guys don't know their roles. It's just because Goldie and Arnado hadn't been hitting. And and now that Goldie's starting to heat up, I think you're going to see that change. And I think it's going to just benefit the outfield. I don't know how much it really truly benefits the lineup as a whole.
0: Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at as well is like, I get what they're trying to do here. They're trying to motivate guys. They're trying to tell them like, Hey, here's your opportunity. They're, They're basically trying to instill artificially confidence in players is what they're doing. They're saying, hey, we believe in you. It's what they did last year with Dylan Carlson at the trade deadline, right? Where they said, hey, we believe in Dylan Carlson. He's going to be our center fielder. Guys, that was always going to be the case. Like whether they traded Harrison Bader or not, Harrison Bader was hurt. He didn't play for the Cardinal, or excuse me, for the Yankees until like late September going into their their postseason run. So Dylan Carlson was going to be starting in center field for the Cardinals, whether they decided to trade Harrison Bader or not. But it was also an opportunity for Mo to double down on that and say, we believe in Dylan Carlson. This is our opportunity to really see him with a run in center field. And he got that opportunity with, I would say, mixed results. That's what's happening right now. But instead of for Dylan Carlson, it's with Tyler O'Neal, Lars Newpar, and Alec Burleson. For the next, I would say, month, I think you guys are right on that. I think that's going to be against right-handed pitching what your outfield is basically every day because they don't really have other options unless they decide to put Brendan Donovan out there. Those are the three guys that are going to be playing almost every single day. You look at some of the underlying numbers, Tyler O'Neal's been a bit unlucky so far this year, and maybe they believe that that's going to turn sooner rather than later. If it does, this is all going to look like the smartest thing they could have possibly done. If it doesn't, though, if Tyler O'Neill, who over the last... Uh, 10 games or so has not been a good player for the Cardinals Alec Burleson who's really struggling up until yesterday Uh, Dylan Carlson who's batting or slugging excuse me 295 against righties Lars Newpar who's slugging 350 in his last 10 games if that doesn't change then none of this matters none of this is going to be the thing that gets them going what gets them going is them just being right at the plate again. And I don't know if that's because they weren't playing every day. Honestly, I think that's been overstated a bit.
3: I'm with you. Like, I do feel like people that use that as the excuse and point to Ollie and say, it's because it's too inconsistent or the reason these guys aren't hitting. But when things are going bad, I'm going to try and make this as simple as possible to fix this and maybe to take away the platoon options and take away this well you're going to play here and then we're going to move these guys around here and if you don't hit well maybe we go this guy it's simplicity and you just go back to all right let's just stick with this for a couple of games try and break out of this slump it's going to definitely tighten up your defense of stopping moving guys around into all of these areas just keep it in one spot and keep it consistent that tightens up maybe the offense can start to get a little bit looser when those areas tighten up
4: Yeah, I I don't disagree with that because I I think it was kind of to simplify things when you made the roster move to send Walker down. And not just for the guys that are at the plate swinging the bat, but also for the manager too. simplify in terms of you don't have to try and balance as many pieces and trying to get them playing time. So I think it was worth giving it at least effort and see if this is the reason of why this team is struggling. But this is probably the last straw. Otherwise, I don't know what else you point to and say, here's why we're struggling outside of just guys aren't performing.
0: You're on mute, buddy. Am I good now? Yeah, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Tyler O'Neill has started eight of the last 10 games. Lars Newbar started 11 of the last 12. Alec Burleson has started 13 of the last 15. Is any of that really changing? I, I think the answer is no. Coming up next, Pat Steinberg's going to join us. He works up in Calgary. Hey, do they have a defenseman that the Blues could take oh, off their hands? yeah. We'll talk to him about it next year on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. And right now, we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Pat Steinberg. He is the Flames radio host. You can hear him on Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960 up in Calgary. He joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Pat, we appreciate the time. As always, man, not the season that either of us were expecting for our respective teams. How you doing today?
5: I'm good, boys.
0: Uh, how are we doing today? Uh, we're doing all right. So the reason we wanted to give you a call, Pat, is because as we look at where both the Blues and the Calgary Flames are at in their respective timelines, it feels like both could use a bit of a roster reshuffle coming off of a disappointing season for both teams. When you look at what this offseason is going to be for Calgary, how much of a roster reshuffle are you anticipating for that squad?
5: Well, I mean, it's it's weird because... I think there's a chance that we do see some pretty significant player personnel moves, but before anything can happen there, the Flames got to figure out a couple things before they can even go down that road. Because number one, they got to figure out who's going to be making those decisions. Because right now they don't have a general manager after Brad Living walked away just under two weeks ago. So they don't have a GM and the, the search is, is kind of just really getting underway for them. So you've got, you've got that to get figured out. And the other thing that's really interesting here, guys, is head coach Daryl Sutter is very much, I think. I'm trying to think of the right word, right word to describe it, or right mm-hmm. way to describe it. But he's he's very much, um, I guess, hanging in the balance. They're going through a an internal review right now and determining whether or not the head coach is going to be back next year. And so the reason why I bring that up is because there's been some pretty well-documented cases and, and some, you know, I I think we've got a pretty good idea that there are four or five players and and important players inside that play who necessarily see eye to eye with the coach this year. And, 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 to, you know, levels that are a little bit more than the not seeing eye to eye that we see in any professional sports team over the course of a full season. This kind of turned into a bit of a, um, a runaway on them in the season, and so you know you've got guys like Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund who were very non-committal in their end of season media availabilities about their future in Calgary, and it's believed, at least on the Lindholm front, that that is related to Daryl Sutter. We know that Jonathan Huberdeau and Daryl Sutter did not get along, and Jonathan Huberdeau's agent is not a big fan of the head coach and. Uh, Nazim Kadri is another guy that did not see eye to eye with his head coach. And especially those last two guys with those contracts kicking in next season at $10.5 million and $7 million per year already committed to Nazim Kadri. There's $17.5 million of like an $83 million salary cap that you've got that did not get along or, or um, was not on the same page with the head coach this year. So that's kind of the, the thing that is... is hanging over everything right now. But yeah, when you've got Elias Lindholm being very noncommittal about his future and he's this team's number one center when you've got, he's kind of like in a, in a lot of ways he, he profiles very much to the way Ryan O'Reilly was used and, and the type of O'Reilly had. Well, he was a member of the blues. So you've got Lindholm non-committal, You've got the longest tenured member of the team and Michael Backland, who is a perennial Selkie trophy guy, uh, he is very much non-committal to, in terms of his future, and you've got going into next season four other high-profile guys who are entering the final year of contracts as well. Noah Hannafin on the blue line, Chris Tanev on the blue line, just to name a couple. So they've got some significant decisions to make, and if it turns out that Lindholm does truly not want to be back here, then you almost have to be ready to trade him this summer and that could kind of be the first domino to fall in what could be a few different player personnel moves. And it's funny, guys, because last summer, with all of what happened, you talk about a roster reshuffle, that was kind of forced on them. And with all of what happened with the Flames last summer, I didn't think we could ever see an offseason quite like the one we saw last last year. And here we are looking at one that could be just as busy, and if not more significant, which I can tell you, I never would have seen coming.
3: I'm with you, Pat, in you know, when I heard some of the comments from the exit interviews for Calgary, I was like, oh, wow, there might be even more changes coming in. And of course, in St. Louis, you know, our ears perk up when defensemen are brought up because that's the biggest issue for St. Louis. And, you know, BK and I have talked a lot about Mackenzie Weger, who was speculated to potentially be being moved at the trade deadline. His extension kicks in next year. I've brought up a guy like Oliver Shillington, who's 25, was a really good player two years ago, didn't play this year mm-hmm. for personal reasons but the main one I want to ask you about is Noah Hannafin I mean he's headed into his final year before he's an unrestricted free agent He's 26 going to be 27 years old could you see that individual being moved this offseason and do you potentially see a fit with St. Louis
5: well let me uh, let me tell you a little bit about about Hannafin like we're talking about a guy that is a really good skater can play top four minutes is a guy that can you know I think fairly capably give you 22, 23 minutes in the top four role on the blue line. I think sometimes he's prone to a little bit too much of the big mistake or the, the bad positioning, but he can play those minutes against top players and can give you 20 to 23 minutes a night, something like that on a regular basis. So from a fit standpoint, yeah, I think absolutely you could see a fit in St. Louis because I think a guy like Hannafin is, is a top four defenseman on most nhl teams just or, or a top two pair defenseman on most nhl teams he's mobile he's got some decent offensive upside although that's probably plateaued in terms of where his point totals are are going to be kind of in the 30 to 40 point range is probably where he is for the next number of years and 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 i think that he's a guy that if you need to pop in on a number two power play he can work but his his biggest asset is his skating and its you know top end, I would say, kind of top echelon amongst defensemen in the NHL just in terms of the way he moves. Now, in terms of whether or not the Flames would move him this summer, I think there's a possibility because of, of a number of different reasons. Number one, he does enter the final year of a contract. He was a little bit more optimistic than Lindholm or Backlund were uh, a couple of weeks when it comes to his future with the team, but still we kind of give you the stock NHLPA answer like yeah, I'm interested and we could talk about it, but you know wasn't really super like yeah yeah, I definitely want to stay, but he was definitely more optimistic uh, the problem with the flames or for the flames is that as of right now they've got about a million dollars give or take a few hundred thousand that They'll have to use to sign a bunch of players under the salary cap, which means they'll have to clear space elsewhere because Uyghur's extension kicked in, as you mentioned, and because Huberto's extension kicked in. That's a lot of money going under the caps. They don't have a lot of flexibility, which means a guy like Hannafin all of a sudden enters the conversation as potentially being you could move. So, with, with Shillington expected to be back next year, mm-hmm. You've got maybe a little bit more ability to move a guy like Hannifin. And the thing about him, look, I, I'm a big fan, and for the longest time, because in this market, guys, he's been talked about as a trade target for, I want to say, three years now. But, well, they should probably think about moving Noah Hannifin, and I've pushed back on that the entire way, because I think with his contract and a team that's trying to compete You know, a guy who can play top four minutes for less than $5 million, that's an asset on your team. But now that he is in the final year of a contract and with so much influx and with their cap situation the way it is and with the haul you could get for a guy who's 26 years old and makes less than $5 million, I, I think you have to think about it this summer. So yeah, I think he'd be a fit in St. Louis. I think there's more of a potential now that they would move him than ever before in his tenure as a member of the Flames and, and it would work. I mean he's a he's a good US kid, like he's an American born kid, um, playing in a, a hockey mad US market. Like St. Louis is one of the good US markets in terms of fan support and, and loyalty and all that type of stuff. And I think just taking a look at, at,
0: you know, where the needs are, I think he'd be a really good fit in St. Louis. And so contract, pat great. Pat, we're, we're, we're talking to Pat Steinberg. Um, he, you can hear him do radio up in Calgary. He, he covers the Flames. He hosts Flames Talk on Sportsnet 960. That That is Alex's guy. Alex loves Noah Hannafin. And if we're being honest, and certainly based on what you just said there, He seems like the more likely candidate to be dealt. I have honed in on McKenzie Wieger, though, because he's a tremendous hockey player. I mean, you saw what he can do this year. He's good defensively. He can put up points offensively. He's a a well-rounded player. He is a bit older, and he has that contract that, as you mentioned, kicks in starting next year. Is there any scenario whatsoever in your mind where the Calgary Flames will kick the tires on potentially trading McKenzie Wieger this offseason?
5: I think they even loosely discussed it. I know that there was kind of talk about, ooh, Uyghurs available at the trade deadline. I don't know how available he actually was, but I do think they even kind of loosely discussed it if there were really good offers at this year's trade deadline. So do I think it's completely out of the question? No, not at all. Because especially if the team does start going in a different direction and you've got an eight-year contract that kicks in starting this coming season, but I think you have to listen, especially if you're getting good value on it. But I think Weger won a lot of people over in the organization as the season went along. He had, I don't want to say he had a rough first half, but brand new player, brand new coach. I think there was an adjustment in the first 40, 45 games or so. But after the All-Star break, he might have been Calgary's best defenseman. And, and I think that, that really made an impact on some of the executives on this team, on this coaching staff. Now, again, we don't know what the future is for either of those departments, but I think he made an impact. And he also has kind of started to cement himself as a real leader on the team. And I wonder how they look at that. This team hasn't had a captain for a couple of years. And I think all of a sudden with what we saw from Uyghur and the way he handled himself, the way that he plays on the ice, that you know, all of a sudden he enters – Um, kind of that that captain territory, and you're like, okay, well, maybe this is a guy they could put the C on for the first time in three seasons. So I I think he's less likely, but I don't think it's out of the question. And honestly, right now, I don't know if there are a lot of untouchables on this team right now. I would have said Lindholm before, but Lindholm's entering the final year of a contract and and doesn't necessarily want to re-sign. And and Weger, I think, is a great player, but you're talking about a guy straddling 30 or close to it and he's got eight years left on his deal starting this year. So I don't think it's out of the question. The only reason I would lean more Hannafin than Weger, and I think Weger is actually the better defenseman, guys. I am a big Hannafin fan, but I think Weger at his best projects to a top pair defenseman. And I think Hannafin at his best and and properly slotted is probably kind of a two, three straddling a top pair, second pair guy. So um, I, I think Weaker's the better guy, but I think you get better value on Hannafin just because of his contract and because of his age and because he's really, really simple to fit under the salary cap. And even teams really fall in love with that skating ability. So I think if you're looking from a flame standpoint, um, who they could maximize most in a trade right now, I feel like it would be Hannafin. But I think Weger is still a guy that if there's a team that is is willing to make a commensurate package deal and and, and actually put something on the table that that is attracted to the flames, I, I think that I don't think it's out of the question because I they absolutely are looking at all kinds of ways to change the dynamic going into next season
3: real quick pat just as a follow-up with that if if a trade were to take place with st louis uh, are are they looking at first round picks are they looking at nhl ready players like where do you think they'll be at
5: That's, that's maybe the toughest question that that we've been trying to kick around for the last little while what type of return would they be looking for Like, let's just say that Lindholm or Hannafin were to end up being dealt. Would they go the route they went with uh, with Florida when they could have? Carolina gave them a deal that was more future-oriented. There was at least one other deal that was on the table that was a good deal that for Matthew Kachuk ended up having a little bit more of a future base to it as opposed to bringing in two guys who are well-established NHLers and O and Weger. So they decided to go with the win now mode and the win now deal last July. This time around, it's a little bit less certain. And I think if you've got a number of players that you're not certain are going to be coming back, guys, I think you might have to go the other direction. I don't think you can make a bunch of hockey trades and bring back okay, a 26, 27-year-old Hennepin, we're looking for a 26, 27-year-old defenseman. I don't know how many of those type of deals are are really available. If you're going to be moving Hennepin or Lindholm or any of these players to teams that are looking to bring them in and help step forward, they're probably not looking to give up established members of their roster. They're probably bringing these guys in to help augment and push them over the top or push them to a different tier. So I think if I'm if I'm a betting man, if some of this stuff does end up happening, I think it's going to be more of the picks, prospects, younger players, less established players that you'd be looking at.
0: He's Pat Steinberg. You can hear him on Flames Talk in Calgary on Sportsnet 960. Pat, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for giving us some insight on what's going on up there in Calgary. It'll help us better inform our discussions moving forward. Thanks, as always. We'll talk with you again soon, man.
3: Okay, boys, be well. Thanks. You Thanks, Pat. That's Appreciate Pat it. That's Pat
0: Seinberg joining us here on 101 ESPN. Alex, I think we've got this. Yeah. Two first-round picks. Boom. Go ahead and make a Marco Scandella move to make the cap work and bring back Mackenzie week No, it's
3: Noah Hannafin. Noah Hannafin. He, everything he just said sounded like Jay Bowmeester.
4: I mean, it sounded like a guy that turns the puck over.
3: Well, we have plenty of those guys. Yeah, yeah Jay Bomeester early, early on in his
4: career,
0: if and, we're being look,
3: and who won the Stanley Cup? Jay Bomeester.
4: I guess my
0: follow-up question to that would be, though, Alex, for a player like Noah Hannafin, what do you think the extension is going to look like? Because the reason why he's even available is because he's on the last year of a $4.9 million APY contract. Is he going to get like six and a half, six and a half times eight?
3: Yeah, it's probably going to be like Mackenzie Weger. I don't know if it'd be eight. It may be like six, seven years, but it'll be Mackenzie Weger contract. I mean, you're going to cool. be paying the guy six. That's what the going rate for defenseman pretty much is. Unless sure. you're a top end guy, you're going to be paying six, six and a half mil. So that's why, I mean, you don't get this done unless you move either Tory Krug or Nick Letty. Like th- you're going to have to do one of those before you do this. But if you're able to accomplish moving one of those, if they go down the future route, which I would almost guarantee you will, you got two first round picks. You don't think Calgary would like to have three first round picks this year. Yeah. Do that in a heartbeat for a guy that they might lose next season.
0: I don't think this is going to be the case. So I want to say that on the front end. But if they told you, hey, there's two packages available, it's the same return on either end for the Blues. Like they, they're giving up the same haul to Calgary. In return, you either get McKenzie Weger or you get Noah Hannafin. Which do you prefer? I mean, Sa- same prospects, same picks going to Calgary.
3: I think mine would be Noah Hannafin. Because Mackenzie Weger is more of the offensive, mi- uh, probably, he's more of the offensive-minded guy. Noah Hannifin is the two-way defenseman. Yeah, he said he makes mistakes, but uh, I mean, his time in Carolina, he was their go-to guy in terms of late-game situations. He played with Justin Falk. I think that type of player, who's six foot three, bodes well for you to play with Colton Pareko and Justin Falk in your top four.
0: Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. We'll tell you which one's got to go
2: here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN this is bk and Ferrari. On. time now for one's gotta go we offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 espn brought to you by train heating and cooling visit traininfo.com it's hard to stop a train
5: out that big
0: bang. alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson I'm Brandon Kiley it's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN let's play a game of one's gotta go you give us four options we'll tell you which one has got to go one's gotta go Cardinals outfield edition O'Neill, Carlson Burleson or Newt Bar. simple easy to the yeah point. Carlson
3: simple yeah I don't need a guy who's hitting 180 on my team yeah I'm with Alex Carlson's
4: send to the go. Don't get yeah, rid of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. Go get that great Memphis barbecue. so mm-hmm. Send Carlson out of here.
0: I mean, sweep it. It's the right decision. <laughs> all right. Look at us all agree. Coming up next, the rewind. <laughs> <laughs> One's got to go T Bone Hobby Edition. Wine tasting, weightlifting, <laughs> golfing, or cooking.
4: There's like one of these that might actually be a T Bone Hobby. Weightlifting exactly you seem like a weightlifter. yeah exactly uh, i'm gonna get rid of weight lifting t-bone
0: golfing. Uh, like i'm
3: gonna golfing. get rid of weightlifting for t-bone i think he could give himself a hernia if he tries too hard
4: oh i have had one so i think yeah. i'm more risk of getting another i think
3: i'd get rid of that one for him just just stick to those little two and a half pounders
4: yeah i uh oh yeah mm-hmm. i i uh, would get rid of wine tasting i don't think i've found a wine that i like i hate wine i'd much rather go be sore the next day after lifting weights and go to the wine tasting I like wine tasting, man. Look good. I, I like a good wine tasting Katie as and well. I
3: are going to go on a, a winery trip sooner or later.
4: Good for you. I'm Alex.
0: Like, to Napa or oh, to yeah, Augusta? Look, those uh, are very different. No, those are like, very different trips. To
3: like Herman Hills, probably like a couple <laughs> hours away. Like She's going to home in
0: Illinois. They got a vineyard you could go to. <laughs> was I wasn't sure to the what Sony kind shop? of
4: a wine trip
0: Alex was talking about.
3: Yeah, no, it's like <laughs> a weekend wine trip, like two hours from home. I, I wouldn't Valley? call that a
0: wine trip. I would say that's like a, I'm, we're going to the wineries in Hermann. I'd
3: say that's a wine trip, isn't it? I'm taking a trip to a winery. That would be a wine trip. Sorry, trip. I don't get unlimited PTO and have all of these money available to me to go Damn. on trips. BK, yeah, that's
0: true. I, so I, something I don't understand. I don't know that I'm the one that gets the crap for the unlimited PTO. I think that I'm like fourth or fifth on that ranking right now. You're in among City 101 right now. ESPN hosts. I'm on. I'm on with you guys. Oh, I didn't forget my access unit. Somewhere. All I know is T-Bone and I are at the bottom of that list. <laughs> T- Tanner is definitely at the bottom. Yeah. Uh, I think Jamie takes more vacation than me. Tim McKernan was in Florida for like three months. Isn't he on the air though every day? N- no. <laughs> That's <laughs> Struck, yeah. Like half of the Fridays. Well,
4: yeah. It's
3: a Friday. At least he worked yeah. four other days of the week.
4: Yeah, exactly. He didn't take off uh, Thursday. Who takes off Thursday? All the time.
3: Who takes off Thursday? Yeah, who takes
4: off Thursday Stop. and works on Friday? What's wrong uh, with our you? Boss?
3: I'm taking off Thursday next week. Are yeah, you? exactly. Well, yeah, well, you have yeah. a family matter. My daughter's having surgery. Yeah. So do so.
0: I. I had a family matter of the Chiefs.
4: <laughs> Unbelievable. You're well, the worst. Whatever. One's got
0: to go. Cardinals trade edition. Juan Yepes, Dylan Carlson, Alec Burleson, or Gordon Grisepo.
3: If it were me, it'd be Juan Yepes. He's probably going to garner you the most return. I don't know what Dylan Carlson's bringing you back. If you want the most in return, it might be Alec Burleson, but, I mean, he's hitting right now, so I don't know why you'd trade him away.
4: Yeah, I think I would say... I actually would say get rid of Carlson, but I don't know if he has much value. I... I I, if they would realize what Yepes' actual role should be, then he would be a great piece to this roster. Amen to that. Um, Grisafel, you're not dealing because he's gonna—he could be a potential ace-like type starter, at least a top-end guy in your rotation. And then I don't even remember who the other. Oh, Burlson. I, I think you like burleson I know he's not good defensively, but his left-handed bat should be able to play. So I, I would say get rid of Carlson.
0: Mine would be Yepes. I don't know what Juan Yepes' role is going to be for this team, guys. I, everybody says, oh, you don't bring him up until he has an everyday rule. Guys, what would have to happen for Juan Yepes to have an everyday role for the Cardinals?
4: They forget uh, two of the outfielders on a road trip. Yeah, like Nolan Gorman would have to get hurt.
0: You'd need at least two outfielders to have a bad stretch. Like, I mean, I really feel like somebody else in the outfield to get hurt.
3: I mean, I really feel like Juan Yepes plays the exact same defensive style as Alec Burleson does in the outfield.
0: I think Alec Burleson gets a little underestimated sometimes defensively because he doesn't look like he'd be good out there. I think he's fine. And he's a like slightly below average defender. <laughs> Cardinals 2024 Ace Edition. Oh, nobody. Dylan Cease, Aaron Nola, Max Scherzer, Blake Snell. You didn't put Shohei Otani on this. I know
4: not who. To get, I know who. I know who to get rid of. <laughs> it's Mad Max because he's old. Everybody else on that oh, list yeah. is right younger.
3: I was. I was going to say Blake Snell because he's not pitching like an ace right now. But yeah, it's Mad Max. I don't know how many more years that man's got.
4: Yeah. Right yeah, now he's getting and sweat. Well, Phil Cuzzy will good. probably
3: follow him around the rest of his yeah. career. Yeah, he's getting suspensions.
0: It is not going well right now for Blake Snell, so uh, that might not be the move to make either. We'll hit the rewind
2: coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with a daily rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Stewart's American Mortgage. Google the Bagel Loan. Featuring zero fees and
1: zero closing costs.
0: Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Cardinals back in action this weekend in Los Angeles. If they sweep this series, you get a bad series from San Diego. You get a bad series from the Mets. You get a bad series from the Phillies. You're right back in this thing in the National League, boys. Cardinals are looking up after a 6-0 win yesterday in San Francisco. You got a couple of good starters on the mound the next two days, Flaherty in Montgomery. This is a Dodgers team that has been scuffling uh, lately. They've got Cindergaard on the mound on Sunday, which is a pretty advantageous matchup for the Cardinals. Alex, what are you expecting from the Cardinals this weekend? Do you think that they have actually put something together or was yesterday more of a fluke?
3: I, I think they're starting to put something together. Like pitching wise, I'm optimistic for this stretch for two of the three games. I don't know about Jake Woodford, um, but for Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery, I know T Bone. What? what? For for J- for Jack Flaherty and Jordan Montgomery, I'm very optimistic on those two sides of things. I'm glad the defense looked a little bit tighter yesterday, but. I'm still a little skeptical with that. And then the offense, like, yeah, you've got some favorable matchups against the scuffling team, but you're also going up against, what is it? Dustin May tonight and Clayton Kershaw. And then I don't know who's the third one that's pitching for them. So you probably got one favorable, in my opinion, matchup for you on the hitting side with Syndergaard because Dustin May and Clayton Kershaw, although they probably have been struggling this year, the, those are like the, the the perfect example of guys who are struggling who go out there and pitch well against
0: the cardinals i i yeah, think they, fair, they haven't been struggling they've been really good oh that's not it's even worse for the cardinals
4: i i think they write the ship i think they take two of three this weekend i i don't know if they'll win tonight because may's been really good i i think they do hit kershaw because this team kills left-handers and, and they should hit Syndergaard. the thing i'm fascinated to see is will they run on the dodgers because they haven't been running a lot and the Dodgers are terrible. I saw John Denton tweet this out about 15 minutes ago. Opponents have stolen 38 bases and 44 attempts against the Dodgers this season. So they should be – we, we talked about the running Redbirds in the offseason. This should be the series where they start running a little bit, and we'll see if they take advantage of it during this uh, weekend set against the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, this is this is just not the Dodgers team that we've become accustomed to. Against the Pirates, the Pirates were running like crazy against them. Um, so I'll be curious to see what that looks like for the Cardinals. The outfield, we kind of know what the mix is going to be. My guess is uh, Friday and Sunday, you're going to have O'Neill, Burleson, and Newt Bar on Saturday. You're almost certainly going to get Dylan Carlson in that mix against Clayton Kershaw. The lineup has become pretty stable. You, you kind of know who's going to be there on a day-to-day basis. I think you're going to see at least two, or th- two of the three where Paul DeYoung is going to be in the lineup as well. I hope, I hope that when we get back on Monday, we are listening to Chip Carey at the beginning of the show and not Joe Davis, even though I think Joe Davis is a tremendous broadcaster. So we'll be looking forward to that. We'll talk to you guys on Monday at 11 a.m. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. The Fast Lane's coming up next. You're on
2: 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.